Sup, everybody. This is Carrick. As you guys know, I'm a big fan of Me, Myself, and Die, the YouTube channel. They do solo d and It's just fantastic to watch. Trevor's an awesome person. He was on the podcast two years ago. Wanted to have him come back on, just talk about role-playing, video games, TV shows, being a voice actor, all of that kind of stuff. As you guys know, we don't do sponsors on this channel, so if you want to check out the merch or hit the subscribe and notify all button, that would be appreciated. Or check out the Amazon affiliate link. Let's do this. Sup, everybody. This is Carrick with ACG, and I'm here with Fatal and, once again, second time, Trevor from Me, Myself, and Die, solo role-playing extraordinaire. As you guys noticed on the last podcast, as people called me a fangirl multiple times of Trevor, I guess I guess I am. I rewatched it, and I was like, yes. But uh, I've always been enamored with solo uh, role-playing. I think that it's exploded in the last couple years. Um, you may have seen me talk about Lone Wolf and fighting fantasy and some of those solo gameplay books, Trevor does something completely different. And if you haven't got a chance, you're going to be able to see in my links uh, some some different things that he's done on his channel, which are incredible. I wanted him to come back on, talk about how life is after two years of doing this uh, or two years after I've talked to him because some big world events have changed that, obviously. So Trevor, welcome back. Thank you very much for coming. Uh, is there anything currently that you're working on that you want people to see right away or, you know, that uh, that you're doing right away? Yeah, on the channel, I'm doing a five parsecs from home series right now, which mm -hmm. is a uh, a tabletop miniature adventure game uh, where you play a bunch of uh, bunch of dudes on spaceships and they go and they do things. But the, the, the thing that's cool about it is it's not just a, it's not just a, a war game. Although it's predominantly a war game, it's mm -hmm. it's surrounded by this whole narrative structure that the game gives you. So you you know who these people are, you know their backgrounds, you know their names, you know their their uh, particular gear, but you also know their motivations. And as the the kind of story plays out, there's all these random charts that allows you to sort of figure out what happens to them because right. of the results of the fight and stuff. It's it's really really cool. So uh, right now in in the series, I just released episode four last night. Uh, oh, four. Okay, that was yeah, the one I watched. Yeah. All right, where they're running for their lives uh, against this alien invasion. <laughs> so it's 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 neat. It's it's super fun. Um, yeah. So that's that's uh, the five parsecs from home uh, campaign. Yeah. So this is your third. You got Dominion. This. How many campaigns do you have? So so this one is kind of a departure because the the previous ones I did I did three seasons of of solo role playing games. Right. For used mm -hmm. Savage Worlds, the second season used Iron Sworn, and the third season mm -hmm. used uh, Dominion Rules. Uh, this is a total departure because this is sci-fi and this has nothing to do with the other characters or nothing to do, it's not even in that world, nothing. Uh, it's just, I, Modifius sent me this game and I went, this is what I always wanted 40K to be. I want to play this. Yeah. So I started, uh, yeah. Yeah, 40K being tangible and easy to understand are not uh, things that you connect usually. 40k 40k is a rule set i mean i like some of their stuff but they're it, it almost always is one of those and i think most of us cut rules from any game but 40k definitely at times i'm like well let's cut like 80 percent of this out let's you know so that's cool that that one fits um I, do you like them as a company they seem to be very good i think mo modi i call it modifus but I, i'm sure that's wrong what is it uh, well, mo uh, Modifius is how I say it. But, Modifius. But. I'm sure you're right. You you, you pronunciate better than better than my. Um, <laughs> I I have been. Uh, this isn't to diss on another company, but it is because everybody knows I do have an issue with this one company. But um, <laughs> there, I don't find as much errors with them as I do with fantasy uh, 
uh, flight, flight, fantasy flight, right? Um, mm -hmm. I buy a lot of their board games, a lot of their games, and I find that I'm almost always prepared for what's that term? Like the errata sheet, the errata. error sheet. Yeah. <laughs> and it's gotten so bad that one time I was playing one of their games and it said, go to page 87. And I went to page 87 and it said, go to page 76, which I did. And that was the one that told me to go to 87. Right. And I was right. with friends and I, I get, you know, that's a lot of money. They're not cheap. Like people, I don't think people realize the most board games are more than a video game now. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was so frustrated. You know, I, how do you feel about these rules? Like, have you, have you found it working out really well? Like what's, what's edible to you? What did you see when you saw it that you were like, I want to run this? Uh, it was just basically the fact that it, it was a tabletop miniatures adventure game. So it, it, as I said, it was, it's more than just a war game. It's not just yeah. pushing guys around and, and killing each other for no reason or mm -hmm. points or ha ha. I won that battle. Like uh, for me, I need something always in a, in a in cerebral a light. Context. Yeah, you know, like I, I want to have it as part of something bigger. That doesn't mean I'm obsessed with story exactly. But, you know, I suppose if the layman might call it story, then so be it. Um, but I want to have everything in context. I want something to have consequences. So I know that in this game, if these guys fight this battle and they lose, that's going to change the outcome of their of their fortunes going forward. I love that. That simple little thing that connects the whole the whole web of of. Um, of uh, the the missions together and the yeah. structure, that's what really appeals to me. So the rules themselves are super simple. Uh, however, there's always niggly little bits in every rule set. I, yeah. I have the thing happening, which it's becoming a bit of a meme, I think, among my patrons, is uh, I continually continually forget that the players have yeah. consumables like stim packs and things like I that. I saw your slow mos. <laughs> <laughs> I just always forget that, and I'm like. Ah! gonna survive but oh well you know but whatever that's just a, a little uh, feature of this particular game but no i don't think there's too many rules in this one what i like about it is if, uh, this this particular game five par six from home for me kind of strikes a, a beautiful balance between uh, uh rules light and rules complexity yeah because there's enough rules to make it like robust but mm -hmm. not so many that you're going oh, i don't know how to do this i have to flip through yet another supplement that just came out like you know, and honestly, with 40K stuff, they change the rules every 10 minutes. I mean, you go yeah. to the camp, back, the rule book's different. You know what I mean? So it's mm -hmm. that's fine. A lot of people dig that. But that's never what uh, appealed to me about 40K. It was always the setting. It was always yeah. the incredible lore of the setting. And, you know, coming back to FFG's uh, books, especially when it came to when they were producing, um, you know, Dark Heresy, Rogue Trader, all of yeah, the 40K. Correct. Oh, right. Yeah. Again, works of art, these beautiful, beautiful, beautiful tomes of lore, but the rules were just just this horrible, rickety machine built on a foundation that was never designed to support that kind of thing. You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, so it's it's uh and here's another thing. There's I think there's this weird conspiracy <laughs> in the role-playing game world because it's not just FFG, it's it's literally every company I've ever seen, and I can't even think of an exception, where when you read the rules. And then they give you an example, right? For example, mm -hmm. when you read the example, they always get it wrong. Yeah, I, I yeah, I don't. We were joking about that, thinking that like we were like, are they trying to make you think on your feet and like make you error correct them or something? I couldn't figure it out. Um, it's funny you mention that. So we've been in my group. Uh, so I have hardcore. Uh, you know, we have a hardcore game that's been going on for thirty years. We have sort of some mini games that have been going on for twelve or fifteen. We have one now for a year. 
but I can't get a lot of people, you know, a lot of people get really nervous about D&D. They're, they're like, oh, you know, there's too much you can do. There's blah, blah, blah. And I've found it's, it's awesome we're doing this, dude, because in the last two years, my big thing has been uh, RPG. I call them RPG light, but Brimstone is a good example where it's a board game, but there's narrative in there. And it's one of those games that you can go to the inn after the battle. And I remember telling my wife, I was like, well, let's go to the inn or the tavern and buy stuff. And she was like, well, the board's here. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. It's we can do a little bit more. And she went from being one, two, three, four. Right. And I move here. I can do this. I do this to what? And I was like, yeah, you can go to the. And she started talking like, you know, wanting sarsaparilla or whatever. And I was just like that. And that's not her. She's not. But she was into it. She's like, I get it now. But because D&D is such a bit, there's a gulf between like, let's say your risk and, you know, your atmospheric Warhammer 40K, where most people who go into it know it's going to be all, you know, all cumbersome. And uh, it's yeah. been awesome lately to see these companies. Brimstone's not new. It's just I found it in the last two or three years and have been really uh, impressed with it. Descent does it. And it sounds like this does. It's cool because I think it's much easier to sell somebody on at least attempting that first. They Maybe they watch your video and they're like, oh, I get it. It's not just absolutely in that contained board game. And yeah. then you're like, oh, this guy, we were doing Star Wars Imperial Assault, Fantasy Flight. Um, right, Fantasy Flight? Am I calling that right? Yep, yep. Yeah, and um, they have, like, choose-your-own-adventure endings, basically. How many of these did you get? If you got this, go to 74 for the next scenario. And just that was enough for my friends to be like, I get it now. I, yeah, I actually okay. now understand why it would matter when words are going out of Carrick's mouth. Why do I give a shit? Like, that's what they, they're like, what impact does this have? And now you can say, well, it, it may be the qu next quest is just a little bit harder. And then that, suddenly, that, you know, the light. That's such a, mm. a magical moment when that happens. Oh, it is. It where is. The, where the board gamer realizes that there's something way, way bigger than what they've been experiencing. And they, mm -hmm. you know, I see that happen with new new players to RPGs. You know, there was a time when not everybody and their dog was playing D&D. Yeah, you know, right. Back in the day, back in my day. <laughs> Mm -hmm. uh, so, so to see new players who who had no idea what this was, they just what's this D and D? What's this role playing? Right. Kind of thing? And when I would introduce it to them, and you would see that moment where they go, "You mean I can try anything my character can do?" Yeah, there's no board. Right. The board is your imagination in the confines of the GM's imagination, basically. And that magical mm -hmm. moment where you see the convert for life. Yeah. For that, you yeah. Know? Great. I love it. Yep. Yeah, it's such a good feeling. Fatal, you were saying you did something. When I talked to you in the podcast, you did something. I just, I don't know if I don't have the guts. I just would never have thought of doing. You actually started D&D &D by going to an event at a store, right? Yeah, a local game store, uh, one borough over. And um, this is, is New York? Yeah, New York. Mm -hmm. it's, I'm in Queens. It's in Brooklyn. So I went over there. Um, I found about it, found out about it randomly. Um on just googling game stores and they have an event board game socials rpg nights i went there hang out get the mood grab a few games and then i said i'll participate these people seem very cool um and i did i did one shots with uh people and i tried things i didn't limit myself i wasn't scared and i kind of just jumped in and had a great time i did a lot of weird stuff you said um, the one of your be best ones was your uh, WWF or WWE, right? You had an yeah, awesome wrestling wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like getting into it, attacking people backstage and, and 
you know, I had people helping me out and all this type of like build uh, rivalry mm-hmm. that I know just from watching wrestling in the past and stuff. And I just ran with it and it was so fun. So fun. And what, the things what did, I was able to pull off was so cool. What had you played prior? Do you remember what like what were your but prior to making that jump? Were you uh, like board game like Monopoly, Risk, Supremacy kind of stuff? Or had you? I have my family and we have never actually finished a game of Monopoly. It's who has? Like a, who it was has? Like a Nobody. Thanksgiving <laughs> night thing. It was yeah. a Thanksgiving night thing, and we'd get it going, and then all of a sudden we kind of split off or start playing video games or something. But um, I mean, you know, there was a Jumanji board game. We played uh, Chinese checkers, categories, little things like that. Nothing too deep, and I didn't know about the bigger board game availability and what they're doing until I saw a tabletop with Will Wheaton. Yeah, right. I was like, oh, there's a lot of cool stuff out there I can play and try and stuff like that. And that's what really opened my eyes to that. As I told you, Fado, I still think like I think I owe pretty much every normal person I'm talking to uh, to Geek and Sundry, like just Mm -hmm. overall, because everybody I talked to, it it was at that time it was huge. And it it went from like, what is this to, you know, admittedly a nerd talking about it excitedly explaining the rules and finally it was less impenetrable and it was so many people i know were like oh geek and sundry has this thing and it's unfortunate that you know we don't see as much coverage in that way we see a lot of people trevor does those there's uh how it's played i've seen him do a lot of stuff uh Mm -hmm. it does a good job explaining the rules but having that superstar do it because at the time will was pretty hot he was in a lot of things and it was it was so good to see that and i think it (laughs) probably helped all of us in the long run i was there for the first stream when they did that big thing and I was oh, really? cracking up. It was, I mean, I was watching it on, on Twitch. I wasn't over there, but it was so cool to see all these, um, these improv people and the stuff they did in like, um, I'm trying to remember the game. Was it like um, fiasco or something? Yes, it was. The, I, I figured that's thing. what it was yeah. going to be. Yeah. Yeah. They did a fiasco thing. That was fiasco is fun hilarious. because it, for people like myself, <laughs> fiasco can be almost too. fiasco is open. And a couple times oh, I've played fiasco, my brain has been, and I, d- dude, I've DM for years and I, even my brain was like, <laughs> okay, uh... I got to figure this out. Um, <laughs> Trevor, when it comes to solo, one of the things, especially because I know a lot of people know, you know, choice of is another series that's come about. That's like replaced lone wolf choice of has like what? 400 books. I think, um, wow. It's incre- I've never seen anything like that come across. So anybody watching, if you want to check out, you know, choose your own adventure books that have characters in them with skills and stats, choice of um, not only fan base, but also IP werewolf vampire. When you st- when you are talking to somebody, Trevor, is there a, is there a really good solo rule set that after this couple years, you've been like, this is probably the best one or the one that's easiest for newcomers? Well, I, I um any game can be played solo, solo yeah right and any game can some are obviously designed for it like iron sworn which i used in season two which is specifically mm-hmm. designed for solo although you can yeah. play it with gm and gms yeah. and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. uh it works really well uh because it is designed in its in its core dna mm-hmm. to be this is how you play just you know by yourself um but that said with the tools that are out there all of the oracles and stuff that i use mostly mythic gm emulator any game can be done. The The problem you have is when you have games that are specifically designed to have niche protection, say D&D 5e, where yeah. as their there's special snowflake superhero fantasy character. Yeah, right. Awesome and unkillable and I hate it. No, I'm just kidding. I don't hate it. Well, maybe uh, I'm not kidding. I don't know. Uh, but um, uh, 
so you get you get this group of people that they all have very specific roles and things yeah. they can do and only they can do. So that means if you're playing a solo game, now you're playing multiple characters probably, which is fine. It just complicates things. And yeah. if you have if you have rules that are really meaty, like D and D five E can certainly get to that point very quickly. Mm-hmm. It's it's so hard to keep track of all of the things. Right. I I would imagine yeah. a lot of people get sort of give it up in frustration. I would yeah. imagine. I, I can't say I've never tried to run D and D five E solo. Uh, so I tend to use systems that are more, more fluid, more mm-hmm. you know easier like to a, just run with, like a dungeon world or um... like yeah, like a dungeon world or mm-hmm. or you know frankly even Savage Worlds is great because mm-hmm. Savage Worlds as rules medium as as it is, yeah. uh, it, it's probably no more complex than five E. It's just uh, it, it fl- flows so much better. It does. Yeah, I saw that when I was watching you. <laughs> you do it exploding dice and yeah it, it's it, it's interesting too i mean um i have no like in any connection of any kind so what i say bear in mind but i've always felt that um tsr slash wizard of the coast all this kind of stuff hasbro they made their own enemies and uh, you know they continually screw they continually every single you know every single edition there was always something it was like there was always something it was like second edition had 800 books welcome to debt and mm-hmm. then you saw <laughs> oh we like world of warcraft so let's make our D game exactly like a video game and mm-hmm. honestly that tr- i mean that collapsed under them i think that that did teach them that you can't necessarily do that but what I've found is I find I, I've found all the games that have been created around the gap of D&D are, are my favorites. And then outside of that ring, I've found some great ones. But for example, Savage World and um, Pathfinder stuff, you know, it's just like, well, that just works a little better. Pathfinder still to me is a little, uh, a little Yeah, it's a little bit, uh, you know, if you're playing mm-hmm. with friends. After a while, you're like, okay, look up this and then, you know, yeah. but uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And mm-hmm. and again, create, you know, created their worst enemies. But it, it's very cool to see that other than 5e, what I've been looking at, I do a lot of Oracle stuff. I have it even our, in our normal games. Uh, we use Oracles, for example, if somebody has a skill of um, intuition, uh, they they roll their own Oracle. So that way it's not necessary because otherwise, like, let's say if a player says, I want to roll, I want to roll for intuition and they roll, they see their role, they know if they failed. And right. so it's like, oh, you know, and we've always used cards, which is very easy, but we're digital now. So in the old days, somebody could flash a card to me. No one else in the game saw it. And I could lie to the player, pretend they succeeded. They didn't. And they get a surprise. It's nice. But digitally, you can't do that. And so we've actually used oracles for a lot of the soft, um, you know, mental stuff that goes on. And it's been very cool to have the player try to figure out what that might mean. And then I just bounce off that. But all these new rule systems are great. And you, you were talking about um, Iron Sworn. And they also did a space one, right? The space one. Uh, yeah. uh, what's that sucker called? Oh, Sean just sent it to me right there. Star there you go. Starforged. Oh. Thank you. I don't know why. It, yeah. Um, it's so cool to see that because, you know, as a big fan, I like all of the original Oracle stuff. Um, but it's cool to jump off and see what he's done and some of the ideas he's done. And I think that'll push forward solo a little bit more. And so that everybody knows when we say solo, I don't even it can be solo. You can also have two people play solo, technically. I mean, it's like you could. That's what I did for years, man. When I would talk about solo games, it was always you a and a person. And a player. Yeah, it's oh, same okay. me. Yeah. I, in fact, I think that's why I knew of your channel and started following you and stuff is because what 
even though you were at that time, you know, you had started solo, it really wasn't too different from me than just what I do with my uh, friend, which was you're Babylon five, man. You're the commander. Let's go. And he's like by myself. And I'm like, yeah, dude, I'll run everybody. Let's just do it. And we had a great time. In fact, yeah. some of the more, the uh, her, you know, fireside chat kind of moments where somebody can spend a lot of time in discussion where everybody else isn't like, <clears throat> What are we yeah, doing? Totally. Let's shoot yeah. something. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, easily some of the greatest games I've ever been a part of, either as a GM or as a player, have been one on one. Yeah, yeah. What I called solo, right? I mean, because you you do you get that 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 hyper attention to that one yeah. character, and they're they're on their own and they're totally in control. Right. So they got to live or die by their own choices, which is great because yeah. I find it's a great exercise to, to actually throw new players into that because mm -hmm. especially if they're used to games like D&D &D where, well, we're part of a team and a party, but then you go, okay, now you're separate and you just run a session for them. And now you see them go, uh, but as soon as they realize they have agency and yeah. they can, and their choices actually matter. It, again, it's one of these magical moments where they go click, they go, oh, you know, I, I love that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't think people, you know, it reminds me of like um, my best, most enjoyable video games probably been like Halo co-op when a friend comes over and we play the campaign. And I told, I, I always tell my friends, I'm like a game of D&D, &D, if it's good, eclipses that by a thousand like it's very difficult until i start sounding like i'm crazy but i'm like you, if, if you if you give if you are okay with like you know a little bit maybe if you need to be inebriated a little bit maybe that lets your social juices flow in, whatever you need but if you let it just if you just sit back and are like i'm gonna just see what can be experienced D and D is it's unbelievable, man. I mean, all my friends are my friends from the D and D group. Like every single one, it's it's a place where you can work out all kinds of issues. You can learn stuff that's real, learn stuff that's fake, uh, discuss things in a world that you created. You know, if somebody's yeah, like, "This is the this is what I created," the players can say that as well, which is yeah, phenomenal. totally one of the, one yeah. of the greatest moments in 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 40 plus years of gaming for me happened when I was running a hard master campaign. This is a number of years ago and we're sitting around the table and there's this there's three players in me and there's this moment that happens. And one of the players stops and he, he just, he goes, you know, nobody in the world, except the men sitting at this table right now, understand what's happening. This right. is just for us. It's this ours. Unbelievable storyline is just for us. And that is the, and I was like, yeah, man, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know? exactly. And that's also it, the tragedy of it. Cause you, you want so desperately to share that experience, but you literally can't. It's only right. for the people who were, you had to be there. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. And it's weird. Cause you can't say, Hey, go play a video game. I played and they get somewhat the same experience. You can't say you could write it up as an adventure, but obviously with agency, you're not going to have the same experience. And right. um, it's uh, one of the things, you know, people who follow my channel always, they're always surprised. Like when I say my favorite game is the Sims. They look at me and they're like, it's not Gears of War or it's not like somebody blowing up. And I'm like, no, dude, because Sims lets me organically tell a story of the weirdest shit humanly possible. And so I can play it for 60 hours, and never be bored. And that's the same way as D&D. &D. I love my video games. I, I run a video game channel. But when it comes to these kind of things, uh, it, it's very difficult to explain it until like Fatal going to sit down at a store gets mm -hmm. to, you know, punch somebody in the backstage at WWE. And he's like, I can do that. And hearing people say, break those chains is the best thing. We've had players go, I can choose my clothing. And I'm like, dude, that's the minimum of what yeah. you're going to be able to choose. Mm -hmm. And have them just go, you know, like you said, that moment where like, oh, my God, I think I get it. And then it, just, and it goes on from there. Um, 
I want to talk about Starforged for a second. So so that people understand there's these uh, solo systems that have come and gone. Um, many of them have stuck around that are great mythic. Um, I use uh, I, it starts with a C. Silas. Uh, um, Cyphus. Cypher. Cypher system. Cypher system. Well, I don't think that's a. Solo. No, I don't think that's. Cypheus. Cypheus. Is that how you pronounce it? Okay. So the, I use that one. I've just, and a lot of them adjust mm -hmm. things. But what I found with, with the Ironforge stuff the, and Starforged is that you can tell he's played everything and he sort of probably listened to the issues that solo gamers have had with some, some difficulty. I think solo gamers have sometimes with feeling they cheat the system, even though they don't. Right. You know, that's what happens in, in D and D you got somebody, even if it's the player who's always watching and the player can be like, that doesn't sound like that checks out. And then you're like, oh, you know, can't cheat there. But with solo, I think that's a worry. I've had a lot of people be like, well, can't you just say anything? No, you can't. And I think that he's done a great job of doing that. Are you are you planning on using um, doing a season with Starforged or are you right now just sort of diving into the rules and seeing how it all yeah, I'm just looking at it right now. It's it, it's it's basically like uh, advanced Iron Sworn, essentially. So it, right. it, as far as I understand, it takes the Iron Sworn game and it it does exactly what you just said. He's listening to his fans. He's listening to the players and going, oh, well, if I adjust this and change this and put this, and so he's put out. So I, I think Starforged is basically like a big, er, not an errata, but like like uh, an fleshing out maybe or just yeah, okay. fleshing out a, an evolution of of Iron Sworn a little bit, except it's it's sci-fi. So. Uh, uh, you know, at some point I'll probably do a game. I don't know. The, the thing is now I've got so many games to run. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. And I've got so many ideas for the channel and stuff. And I get all of these creators sending me their games and companies sending me games. Nice. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, that's awesome. But when they say, you know, hey, we sent you a, a, a game last month. Are you going to get a chance to play? I'm like, last month, dude, I've got a year waiting list of stuff I got to get through. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like there's so much to do, but you know I, I love that because one of the things I love about uh, doing this and, and on my channel is to try and introduce gamers to things other than D and D because really that's a big thing of mine. You know, mine as yes, well. I, I'm I'm a so-called solo channel, but I'm really expanding the channel out into other things. I want people to understand that this isn't just about solo gaming. This is about role playing in general. So a very successful video I just released actually last week I think was called. Uh, uh, you know, five other five games other than D and D, basically. Mm -hmm, and the whole mm -hmm. conceit of it is, there's a lot of people out there that really have no idea that there's other games besides D and D. And right. I, I want to have them experience this unbelievable, near infinite world of other RPGs. So much, so you know? much. Uh, and so that fair. that doesn't mean I'm saying don't play D and D. I'm saying don't limit yourself to just yes. one thing. Yeah. You know, yes. there's so this is really the golden age of games. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them and there's so many good things and and uh so many great mechanics to to deal with certain things i just i i get I, i'm a system junkie i get excited about that oh yeah. there's this new, uh social mechanic to to figure out how to you know uh, handle the, the characters in a, at, at a ball for the duke oh that's that's awesome you know i, I get i get excited <laughs> about that stuff but i really 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 feel strong that 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 people it only helps their games if they branch out from D and D. It oh, only yeah. helps them, you know. Yeah, um, 100% agree. Uh, uh, um, yeah, dude. If you ever need somebody, if you ever do a group thing, I would love to be in. I'm putting my. Oh, I'm, I, I would pay you to be my DM. Um, <laughs> it, it is very cool you do that because, especially, I think also this is a little bit like a lot of people think JRPGs are also always Final Fantasy, 
and I'm just going to video game comparisons so that some people watching who don't really know what we're talking about, but it, it, it's, you know, there's Bioware games, there's Mass Effect, there's Jade Empire, there's these ga- these other worlds. And when you look at D&D, I think a lot of people get shoved into the fantasy part of D&D. They get shoved into the miniatures. I don't want to say it's originally there were was a push for miniatures, but it, it's still sort of like that. And I'm definitely more of a theater of the mind kind of person where um, miniatures work for a solo channel obviously because you want to show people what you're doing and what you're looking at and they work for a lot of games sometimes uh, i we usually don't use them but one of the things i i like is that if somebody does somebody looks at D and they're like i this is too closed off or i don't like this how this level works i know a lot of my friends when they hear about like any kind of challenge ranking for a group they're like that's not for me i want enemies who are way too hard or way too e-. i want to you know right. scaled enemies in a DD game can really be mm-hmm. off-putting to a lot of players they they want a little bit of the danger the dark souls moment and then yeah. the moment where you roll everybody and because that makes you feel like dude we those guys picked with the wrong suckers and then you go in and also so that a player knows to retreat retreating's okay and a lot of players don't pick up on that that's why i loved when you said you like to introduce people to a solo game because i believe solo games teach players almost all the time that there are limits that in a group mm-hmm. you're always waiting for somebody to heal you you're always waiting for that one thing to happen and when you're by yourself in that two-hour game maybe a primer game it's like dude yep. you may have to run and they're like but this is just a, it's a it's a clerk He's the administrator. And I'm like, this is Warhammer 40,000. The administrator probably kick 80% of people's asses. And you're going to have to figure it out. You're going to. And it, it's such a cool thing to see uh, you you talking about these other things, because I know that you definitely we talked about it last time. You definitely aren't just solo. So it's cool that you're covering some of these other um, these other rule systems. And I've seen you do your uh, drinking with DMs is what it's called. Right. Yep. Yep. Um, and I, I always think those kinds of things are awesome, because if somebody just sees one whether it's me, whether it's you, whether it's whatever, they see one thing, they can get stuck thinking that's the only thing. And in the past, it's been the Matt Mercer effect where everybody sees video or voice actors and they're like, this is D&D. And I'm like, no, I'm sorry. I, and not to be rude, that, but that's nothing like D&D. That's not even, that is theater with rolling. That's like a completely, and, and that is amazing. And it pushes people towards seeing this awesome thing. But you certainly can't expect that from a guy who's just coming in who may be embarrassed and talks in the third person because they don't want to do. And you and I talked about this because you're really good at voices. And that's, you know, as a voice actor, you've played characters, uh, Rocket Raccoon and stuff like that. So, like, you can adjust some people, man. They can't. That's not their that's not yeah. their thing. And uh, if you introduce them to these other games, maybe there's a, maybe the comfort level is higher in a game where the world fits what they want. And so they're a little bit more apt to jump into something instead of leaping into something where even the world's not super interesting, but you're, yeah, you're consistently and I wonder, begging them. You know, that's interesting. I wonder if if by them, by these players who maybe are intimidated because of the so-called Mercer effect, because it's so heavily associated with the actual game Dungeons and Dragons, I wonder if they were to play a different game entirely, Forbidden Lands or GURPS or what have you, if that would somehow psychologically snap them out of that uh adherence to oh well this is what a game is that's an right. i kind of like to see that experiment right. run to see so we started our cyberpunk game a world i had made um and we're using a rule set i made for something very quick and that is actually what happened we had two people who were like oh i i like cyberpunk 
I don't like D&D. I didn't like what I saw. And I was like, okay. And then um, some of the ways in which you can talk and we've discussed things uh, sort of made them a little bit freer and a little bit more comfortable. And they were like, now I get it. They would never. And and I think that that kind of stuff is super important because it's very easy to become. And we've all done this, you know, nerd, your nerd masters. Somebody walks by your table at a game and convention and they're in, they're like, what is going on over there? I don't want to enter. And to me, I'm like, dude, we want everybody to enter at least once yeah. to mm-hmm. see if they're because some of my favorite players of people, I got to tell you, one of my one of my players, if you saw him on the street, you'd be like, how is he not on parole? He looks <laughs> like he's he and he's not. He's a gentle giant. He looks like he's on parole. He's consistently looks like he's probably running from the cops and he is the most gentle He's like I ca- a caresser and I lay her down and I swear to the guy. And I'm just like, dude, this is awesome. <laughs> because if I recorded that dude and played it, people would be like, that can't be real. So it, mm. it, it's really cool. And that's one of the reasons why I like your channel, dude, is because I think it also, it, it also removes a little bit of the stigma of the group worry where p- there's, there's a little bit of that pressure. You know, you get a group and you're thinking, think people might expect something of you and in a, it, maybe in a solo game you can just try it on your own and just see how it goes by yeah. yourself yeah you know? I, I know there's a lot of people that feel weird about playing uh playing with themselves uh, right because they're like well so what do i do do i sit around and talk to myself and i'm like well i don't i don't know what you do i just know what i do but what i do is is you know, I do these characters and stuff. That's for entertainment value. That's I'm mm-hmm. playing these scenes because it's a show. Yeah, right. Playing game. You don't have to do that. And honestly, people say to me, well, 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 you know, what's the best way to solo role play stuff? It's funny. They talk to me like I'm an expert. I'm not. I started doing this three years ago. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, like I did this as a, as, it was a joke. It was a gimmick. It was well, I've I've been you know the the critical role guys have, have teased me with doing a guest star on their show for years. It never materialized, and then I was going to do my own version of it. Couldn't get the actors together because, of course, hurting yeah. cats. And I thought, well, wait a minute, I don't need them. I could play everybody. I'm right. awesome. Mm-hmm. I'll do that. Right. Aha! Isn't this hilarious? No one will ever have seen this before. And <laughs> as soon as I do it, all these people go, "Oh yes, no, I've been solo playing for years." In right. Case. And I'm like, what? <laughs> it's a thing. But yeah, it's a huge thing. And then when the pandemic hit right after I started, right, it mm-hmm. became an even huger thing because now people were like, wait a minute, I'm at home and my I can't go to my friend's house to play the game. And yeah, people were getting into the uh, far more into the Roll20 thing and the, the online mm-hmm. uh, way of, of yeah. doing things. But a lot of people were like, well, if I'm not in the room, how can I really play the game? And they said, well, then they tried this solo thing. And then you get all these people going, look at this. I ha-. So again, it's one of those moments of opening up the worlds. Like, look at the possibilities here. You know, mm-hmm. look at look at what is possible within this genre. It's it's just pretty cool. Um, when you when you sort of had the hurting cats moment, I think every DM in the world has a hurting cats moment. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's re- and it's ridiculous when you're a kid, you have very particular schedules like like your school and your weekends. And it's just much easier. And then you you know, once you get in the real world, people are working weekends, people are working night shift, swing shift, getting a group of people together continually, even if they love the game is quite difficult. Um, when you started looking at solo and decided, OK, even as a joke, you're like, I'm going to put this together and everything. Did you expect to do did you plan on the first season as a season like i'm going to give this a full season or did you i I don't remember if i asked you this last time or did you just say let's do one episode and see what happens i was gonna do uh 
uh, I knew it would be more than one episode just because uh, I knew I wouldn't be able to wrap up the story threads. In, gotcha. In that, right. Basically. But I thought, okay, you know what? I'm just going to throw a handful of these episodes out. I'll play the arc through. I'll maybe get three or four episodes and that'll be that. And then I can say, ha ha, I'm on YouTube. Ha ha. <laughs> uh, didn't turn out that way, obviously, but because what happened was as I started to play the game, I started to actually get really excited about these characters and I started to get really invested in the outcome, just like I was playing in a real game. Right. Normal. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, I can't just stop this now. I need to know what's happening with Simon. I need to know what happened to his parents. I need to know what's going on there. And so mm -hmm. 22 episodes later, and then, you know, the, the channel is still very small by YouTube channels. Like I don't even have 20,000 subscribers. It's, it's tiny by YouTube standards. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, so, so I'm a, I'm, I'm a niche of a niche of a niche thing, but the fact that there's 20,000 people that all subscribe to watch me do this, I'm like, that kind of tells me something, you know, yeah. this, this, this is a viable thing. People are interested in seeing this stuff, but I really do. Uh, I'm really trying to, as I said, expand it. I'm trying to, to be more, uh, broadly appealing to a wider community because, the things that that I feel are really important in the games, I do want to get that out there. And again, it, it just comes down to there's so many games, guys. There's so many games yeah. here. Let me let me show you some of them so you can go have your own experiences with it. Right. Um, Nova Lights asking a question because I, I you know, we've talked before and um, maybe we cover we we did cover it before, but I don't we sort of jumped in this time. He just says in a nutshell, how does solo D&D work? So what, how would you describe it in, you know, a couple minute primer? You, it, it works the same as any other game, except that you are both the GM and the player. So uh, you have your character and you have a scenario. And what's the scenario? It's randomly determined in, in my case. So mm -hmm. you, I use something called the Mythic GM emulator. And if you watch episode one of season one of my main show. Yeah, definitely do. Me, create the character and then go, okay, where does he start? And I have one rule. You always start in media res. You always start in the middle of the action. What's yeah. the action? Doesn't matter. You just have to be in the middle of something happening, something active. So mm -hmm. in that case, it was, okay, what is it? And I rolled randomly and you roll two, you roll like a noun and a verb or an adjective and a noun or whatever it is. And then based on that, you tie that together with the, the little threads that have appeared in your character creation, like his background threads. We knew, okay, we knew that he had this best friend who was his half work. Okay, great. We know that he's a ranger. We know this, but we don't know anything else. And then this, the, I, I forget what the words that came up with the Oracle were to establish the situation, but it immediately suggested that Vilborg, the half work, was arrested and he was being taken to be hung. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. And Simon was in the middle of trying to rescue him. I'm like, okay, that's, talk about in media res, perfect. Yeah. We're right in the middle of it, which means you get right to the action, boom. And then you play the game as normal. You mm -hmm. have your character, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna do a stealth to see if it can get up there. And if you succeed, that's gonna have consequences. If you fail, that's gonna have consequences. And most of the time, it's just logical consequences. If I'm trying to sneak up on a guard and I fail the role, I'm pretty sure I know what that means. Yeah, it, right. God knows I'm there. And now we're probably in a fight or something, right? Uh, but there are many cases in solo role play where you don't know what's going to come next. And that, of course, is all the fun. I have no idea what's going to happen when I sit down to play. But that Oracle with those randomizers and your imagination, you mm -hmm. fit those things together and just let the sparks fly. And that, dude, I've done three seasons of this just by looking at, combinations of two words and allowing my imagination and my, my creative instincts to just go, that's what this means. Go. Yeah. Boom. Right. And mm -hmm. next thing you know, 
you've got, and you know, you're keeping, you're keeping track of story threads and you're keeping track of things that happened and you're keeping track of NPCs that emerge and stuff so that you can tie all of those threads together naturally as you play the game. Uh, it works magnificently. Like it's, it's a, the mythic GM emulator, especially is just such a fantastic tool and not only a fantastic tool to, to solo role play, a fantastic tool for GMs to design adventures. Correct. Yeah. Your own NPCs, everything, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, solo role playing is just basically, it's literally playing by yourself where you're taking the roles of both player and GM. And I know a lot of people are very hard on themselves. Uh, I've read where like a lot of solo role players are like, Oh, I'm way too hard on my character. And I always get killed because, you know, I don't know why that is. I think maybe they're throwing too much at them or they feel, they feel like to your point earlier, Carrick, about how, uh, uh, if they don't, if they don't throw the book at their character, yeah, they're somehow right. cheating the system. Yeah, right. And mm-hmm. I'm all for I'm all for putting my characters in difficult situations. My I've got like I said, three seasons of characters being thrust into awful, awful, awful choices. But that's that's drama. That's that, yeah. that's what you want. You want your characters to have to overcome obstacles. That doesn't have to be every obstacle is a deadly trap or something. Right. But and that's the other thing with solar role play because you're also the GM. If you're in a fight and you lose the fight, that doesn't necessarily mean you're dead. Yeah, there exactly. There are a whole host of consequences that could happen. In the end, it doesn't matter what the consequence is as long as it flows logically from the situation and it is a consequence. And that goes mm-hmm. for both failure and success because if you have a character who is who is performing actions and there are no meaningful outcomes, no meaningful consequences of his choices, mm-hmm. you're cheating yourself. You're cheating your game you're that's the real cheating it's not fucking dice rolls it's it's not allowing the natural consequences to emerge from the situation yeah and that is where the fun is like some of the funnest stuff i've done Mm -hmm. on my channel is where the characters are in a real pickle a real pickle a real bind and how the hell are they gonna get out of this i don't know tune in next time to see what happens you know like well i think that's the thing about that go ahead uh, fatal if, if you had a question yeah i was gonna say nothing happens in a vacuum yeah. If you're constantly succeeding, there has to be like an opposing force coming to meet that or noticing that or going to push back against that. Who's right. this guy who's amassing a legend in the West? Yeah, right. Right. Even if it's you another know? bounty hunter. That's how mm-hmm. I that's why I've described my job as a GM for for since time out of mind is my job as the GM is to represent the world. And when the players push on the world, the world pushes back. That's the entire job of the GM is have the world push back uh, an equal and opposite reaction against what the players have done. And that continues the conflict and that continues things moving forward. And yeah, I think with solo, one thing people don't get, uh, you know, there's there's that always that thought of, you know, cheating or I have to do this and I have to do that. And one of the if you guys hear us talking about the Oracle, just so everybody knows, um, you basically what you're doing is you're asking questions of the system. You know, is there a bad is there possibly a bad guy around this corner? What have you? And you have different odds of yes, no, maybe it depends on the Oracle you have because, you can have all kinds of stuff built upon that. But mm-hmm. one of the reasons why it works is because your character's stats can affect that and your continual success in some of these uh, cause a chaos system to sort of come into a, a effect where multiple failures and multiple successes can sort of alter the game world to keep the narrative going. But I think a lot of people think of it as D- a normal D&D game. Usually you have the player say something, the DM answers right away. And I think that a lot of people are nervous about pregnant pauses they're nervous about the moment where they're thinking 
And it's like if you're, you know, Trevor's doing a YouTube channel. It's a completely different beast. Uh, it mm -hmm. is in a way like Critical Role. It is a completely different beast. If you're by yourself and you have to think about something, that's okay. And I, I think that I get that even with players where because I'm, I blather and I'm good at making worlds and I don't do scripts, all my stuff is, uh, I'm just thinking, what's this world doing? They'll say something, I'll say something back. And they're like, oh, I got to say something. I'm like, no, not, you can think. You can think, man. There's, I mean, some games, we do have time limits on some stuff. If you're being shot at, I'm not going to let you sit there and talk with your friends for an hour and a half and figure out exactly what you're going to do. But I think with solo role playing, they just don't, they're, they're not really prepped for the idea of the Oracle, which is, is probably one of the best things made because once you see that uh, an Oracle system in play, then you understand that, oh, in normal D and D we can use this or normal or werewolf or riffs or savage, savage worlds. You can use it in anything. You can use any kind of Oracle. And really when an Oracle isn't much more than like any role you would normally do, it's just, it's sort of just answering the question you have and asking questions and, and, and exactly. giving those answers and it just steps and in steps in the, uh, into the, the shoes of the GM. Briefly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you don't know the answer, as you said, what, what, what's around the corner. You can either totally randomly determine that, or you can ask a question like, are there guards around the corner? Well, yeah. based on what I already know in the context, the likelihood is this, and then you roll and then you go with the outcome. But yeah, yeah. it's, it's, um, I guess it is odd if you think about it, you know, because I've been I've been so thrust into this whole uh, Oracle world for so long now that I forget that maybe the notion of an Oracle is is sort of weird for players who have never experienced it. Before. It is. I've I've shown it to them and they're like, I don't understand. And I'm like, well, it's it's like asking me the question. It's just not right. Me. Exactly. You know, and I think it's probably a lot easier for GMs to understand yeah. what the Oracle is because it's just doing their job. Dude, right? that's what we do all the time. When, when they say that, I'm like, what is the, you know, they'll be like, what's the NPC do? And you're like, what does the NPC do? <laughs> you know, and you're, and what you're doing is you have your own chaos factor in whatever game you're playing and you know, whatever the lethality of whatever world. But I think what's cool about all this is, um, and people are asking about board games. I've got a bunch of questions in Patreon. I'll get to in a second. Sorry guys. But what, one of the reasons why I'm loving the board game light RPG stuff that's coming out, the Brimstone and the one you're playing, all this is because um, now you can come at it from a couple different ways. And it, there's something very cool where a person can say, oh, D&D is too much. Well, what about Solo? No. Well, what about a board game that you probably monopoly but you have different dice you have a couple extra dice rolls and they're like, okay, I could probably do that. And then and then suddenly they can build up to it and and a little bit of that knowledge after a, a very small amount of time, they can be like, oh, man, I get it. I've also noticed uh, a little less so now as we've come out of, you know, the great void. I've noticed that uh, there was a lot of DMs being paid to DM. And I, and I got to tell you guys, I don't have an issue with that. I like I, I mean, I know that I saw some people being like, oh, man, you can get a DM anywhere. And I'm like, well, we just talked about that. You always can't. Their schedules. And I've seen people be paid to DM. There was d groups where somebody's like, I'll, you know, I'll come to your place or I'll do it on Discord. And I watched a couple of them and I was like, that was, you know, that was entertaining enough to be worth, you know, the 50, 60 bucks somebody paid that person. Yeah. If you want to get into DD, there's so many ways now. It's, it's so beyond what I grew up with when I got the red book and my mom and dad were like, what the f is this? You know, and I'm like, well, it's, it's a game in your mind. And then I had the question, you know, are you, uh, you you believe you can't fly, right? And I'm like, dude, I'm not Tom Hanks. But Tom Hanks made a movie that set D&D &D back 15 fucking years. I'm not 
I love Tom Hanks, by the way. And monsters. But it may, oh, dude, that movie. And as a D, even as a kid, by the way, I was like eight, and I'm like, that is not, that is yeah. not what is even, what is happening? <laughs> that was yeah. made by an uh, old lady who, you know, wanted to rail against D&D. But uh, yeah. Mom's against fun. Ma oh, dude, dude, <laughs> man. It, I, I remember growing up in that era and just being like, oh my God. And even our teachers, yeah. they, they had multiple, because we played in their lab, their science lab at lunch. And they were like, yeah you do know you can't throw a fireball. And I'm like, yes, what the, yes, I'm, I'm fucking like 13. Of course I know that, you know, like, why do you even think that? It's just, it's it was, a, it was, there was no difference between that and someone like some kid going to, to see star Wars. Exactly. And, and the parents like, well, you know, that's not a documentary, right? Yes. Obviously not a fucking yeah. documentary. You will, exactly. And I wish a kid would answer that way. Right. Or when I'm playing with my GI Joes, my parents never said, you know, they're not, they, they would never have said that. And that's what bothers me is with a board game. Parents don't worry mostly because they see physical objects with D and D you're in your brain and it's hidden. And that's, yeah. it's like psychological pain versus physical. A lot of people who have psychological pain will seek out physical pain because they can look at it and go, I see it right here. It's different than heartbreak. It's different than whatever. But with D and D it is so funny, man. Cause it's like, my parents never said anything when they saw GI Joe versus mask versus transformers. And I was out there like, Mighty fighters singing songs. My parents weren't like, you realize you're not a rock star, right? No, my parents were like, he's playing with toys. But then when I did D&D, my parents were cool. They asked one time and they trusted me, but they were there. It's obvious that there was a golf. And, you know, I guess I, I guess I'm teasing them. I guess you could extend it. That golf is sort of what happens with players where they there. You're not seeing something. And so you're like, I don't understand because I'm not seeing some. I think that's why your channel is awesome, because. You've got this thing, you're explaining it, you're surprised, which I think it allows people who see solo D&D to be like, oh, it's not cheating because I've seen you surprised. I've watched the entire episodes where you're like, well, we're roll. Wait, what? And then you're surprised. And so I think that allows a player to go, oh, well, yeah, I guess I would be surprised if I if I thought it was going to be yes and it was no and and you're like, oh, shit. That's way worse than no, you know, yeah. like it's my favorite moments of the whole oh, it thing. Is. It is, it is, isn't it? You know, I, I don't want to know, you know, to, uh, I grew up in, in, in the days when, you know, the satanic panic was, yeah, it, it, it didn't really affect us so much up in Canada. It was mostly like, you're not like, in middle United States. States. Yeah. You know, right. What are these, what are these yanks doing down there? But, uh, but you know, you would hear so many stories about people who were like, "Yeah, well, my my mom, she's a fundamentalist Christian, so she she took my D and D books away. She let me keep Traveler." Yeah, right. Uh, and, and, yeah, and you're just like, uh, I don't understand. Yeah, it it you, it, it you know did could become be space demons, right? <laughs> well, they're Cthulhu. There you go, or Elder Gods. Yeah, that is well, that, true. That's a perfect example. They took they they burned my DMG, but they let me keep my Call of Cthulhu book. Yeah, like, yeah. Which, by the way, I love, I love H.P. Lovecraft, but I'm not, I, I don't ignore some of the stuff that's in his books. So it's like, obviously, it, 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 it makes no sense, right? Yeah, it just makes none at all. It's so cool to see this kind of stuff, especially, I think that, unfortunately, the last two years, um, the unfortunate part is obviously everything we see. But the fortunate part of it is that I think that a number of, of people who would never have thought about doing the things that we do are. That's yeah. just sort of the simple uh, of it. And I've got friends who would never have thought of doing D&D &D, um, or they do Discord D&D, &D, which I like, but it's, you know, there's something about smelling Doritos and, you know, uh, greasy fingers on your on your character sheets. But uh, 
the ability to see those kind of things, it's sort of extended. And what's great about that, too, is those are the future game makers. And that's why I think Iron Forge, all that kind of stuff worked out, because he did look at some stuff and he was like, OK, we need to we need to make a little easier on a solo player, blah, blah, blah. Well, now those everybody else playing is a future possible creator of something new that's going to make it even easier. And uh, and it's just going to blossom from there. And it's it, it, to me, that's the exciting part. Like, that's when I. When I start looking at a new rule system, I think you said this, Trevor, you're I, I like rules and atmosphere, too. So, like, I'll buy a new source book, for example, riffs. I would never play the rule. I would never play riffs. That rule system is terrible. Sorry, Kevin. But the world is amazing. <laughs> and so I'll read the rules. I, I'll read the rules and be like, whatever. But I'll look at that atmosphere and I'll look. I'll be that's like, why, that's why Savage <sighs> Worlds released riffs for. Savage. Worlds. Uh, yes, I know. <laughs> yeah. So you can finally <laughs> play it and be like, oh, OK, I can be a, gl a glitter boy. Finally, you know, um, but it, yeah, it's it's a very it, it's just an awesome time to be a gamer in that way, in the analog way. I think it's uh, it, and we're seeing digital tools that are that are starting to, you know, um, for example, come up um, one more multiverse where they built a rule set into almost a pixelated thing that the GM can create. I didn't even know about this character. You can add um, everything like clothing and all this type of stuff. And, and everything's built in the roller, the, the sheet. This is yeah, a web page a cool or thing. an app. You could do it in the browser. Gotcha. You could do it in the browser. Like, uh, yeah. So Something I'm of really two cool. minds about that. I'm of two minds mm -hmm. about that because on one, on one hand, the mm -hmm. inevitability of the game evolving into an online thing, it's, it's mm -hmm. just the way it is. Yeah. And I don't think that, you know, the old way, the old way of playing around a table is ever going to die. It's never mm -hmm. going to, you know, it's, it'll always be in my mind. It'll always be superior, but mind uh, it. it'll, it'll always be there. Um, I mean, I, I like the tools. I like Roll20. I like Foundry. I like all that stuff. It's fun. But I would say that with Foundry especially, which is a very, very, very quality piece of software, like it, the, the, the things you can do in Foundry are, are really stellar, really amazing. Hmm. But I was playing a Pathfinder 2E game the other day as a player on Foundry. Mm -hmm. New experience okay. for me. I'd never played Pathfinder before. I'd mm -hmm. run 3.5, so I was familiar with the basic concepts. But... Uh, and on Foundry, what I found was that what we were doing, I would not call, in a classical sense, a role-playing game. Right. What I would call it is a new experience. Because okay. on Foundry, you have this set of tools that is basically kind of trying to turn the role-playing experience into a video game experience role-playing instead of r-o-l-l instead of r-o-l-e but not even really that because in foundry you don't roll dice you click a button and everything's done for you and all these people say oh isn't it great you don't have to do anything the computer does everything for you and i think to myself how are you really playing the game if you're not actually playing the game if you're not understanding that i roll a d20 and i add this and this and this and compare to that target that's the game that's a huge part of a role-playing game because it's not just playing a character and being part of a narrative and having cool adventures there's a game aspect to it as well and the mechanics represent that and if you have a system that basically says oh no you don't have to worry about any of that you just hit a button to me that's deeply unsatisfying because it's like but i want to roll the dice i yeah. want to understand how it works so mm -hmm. i'm not saying before anybody yeah, jumps yeah. my fucking throat. No, <laughs> I'm no. not saying that I don't think Foundry is is good or the online table to any any of that. I'm just mm -hmm. saying that the experience that I've been having with these online 
platforms, and especially the way one D and D is going now. It's yeah, go yeah, it's going to go road. fully down that road. About, hey, you want to be part of this? Cool, you get to see your character's magical effects if you give us two dollars, right? All this kind of stuff, whatever they got to run their mm-hmm. company. But, okay. but for me, I look at that and I think that's not really a role playing game exactly. It's it, it's it's still fun, and it's. Uh, it's just something different. It's 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 an offshoot. It's like a uh, an evolutionary offshoot of the game. Yeah. So, and again, you know, there's going to people who say, "Oh, well, it's still role playing." Blah, 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 whatever. This is just. Uh, I'm just saying that. I'm not saying it's a bad experience. I just think it's a different experience. And if you really want to indulge in that experience, I think you have to recognize it for the new experience that it is. Because if you mm-hmm. try and pretend that this is just like sitting around the table with your friends. It's not. It's it, that's going to be disruptive. That's going to be weird. It's not. It's something you know. Like if I sit down to play a game of Skyrim, I'm not playing a role playing game. I'm playing a computer video game yeah. in which I play this role. Sort of. I play this role based on the design decisions that the designers have given me and have uh, have set out beforehand. Why? Because that's the way it must be. That's the way that the architecture works. But if I'm sitting down to play an online game of Pathfinder 2E on Foundry, I feel like. I feel like these people are saying, hey, it's just like Skyrim, except you get to play. And I'm like, you will never be able to compete with a video game. The the power of a role-playing game is the power of the imagination of its participants. And if you give them everything, if you show them everything, look, here's the cave, here's the lighting effects, here's the sound effects. Well, yeah, that's kind of like a video game. I play role-playing games because I want to see my own version of the game. I want to hear the dripping water in my own imagination. I want to smell the mold of the cake. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I feel like you're kind of weirdly doing a disservice to the whole nature of RPGs by trying to to provide these things with tools that don't really... I don't know. I I I think they're and it's a time of experimentation. People are people are mm-hmm. branching out and trying new things, and that's great because you know that's where that's where you get the new innovations is people trying things. So I'm all for that. I just does I, it stimulate the imagination in the same way, right? As there's a map, but you have to imagine right this town. You have to imagine the roads, the streets, the grime right. instead of using assets to draw any of it. That I understand. Yeah. But at least with this way and the way people move around, you can keep games going regardless. So you can have the game around the table. And if somebody's schedule or something comes up, you could move it digitally, maybe a short, more contained experience to at mm. least keep everything going. And then when there's time to move back to the table, maybe you could do You know what's weird? I, 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 I see how that works. Uh, we just don't play if somebody can't make it. Uh, we did one time with Abzi and a couple days after we played, he's like, dude, I haven't done a combat in this game yet. And we were on our fifth uh, episode. And I was like, yeah, the one you missed was four hours of solid combat. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I at that point, I was like, OK, we're not doing that again, um, because I think also you lose the flavor of that person being there. And so everybody's and, and all these are different experiences. Everyone is just like, again, Brimstone's different than Monopoly, which is different than blah, blah, blah. Um, mm-hmm. I, I do believe that uh, when I'm offered something, it is I'm firmly not in the a fan of tabletop programs um i like tabletop simulator because maybe i'll throw the pdfs up there 
We can play tabletop simulator where they have the PDF in front of them and we're playing role playing, but I'm not really throwing a bunch of shit down that that's more of a board game. But uh, okay. yeah, I'm not I'm more of an analog fan. Even if we do discord, sometimes they have cards in their hands or they have dice and we you know, they show the dice to it. like something. I think also players I know Trevor was saying he likes to roll the dice. I've gone a tiny bit over towards cards because there's mm-hmm. some subterfuge that is a little bit more difficult with a dice. It's not impossible. It's a little bit more difficult, but um, it's still analog. And I, I, I maybe we're go, maybe we'll go the way of the dinosaur. And nobody will care about analog. I don't know, but I like analog. I love the I I, I like the player doing something, you know, and the DM doing something, and I like to tell somebody something and have them make the mental picture. I will say lately, I've been giving people handouts two, four, six games later of a character that they continually meet. And I'll be like, so that everybody has the same idea in mind, here is what the character looks like now. So then everybody who's had this idea can go, okay. And now everybody knows dude's got dreads. Dude's got a nose ring, blah, blah, blah. Maybe I didn't hear that. He's got, you know, the uh, different colored eyes, whatever everybody, but I wait a long time. I like, I'll wait four or five games before I'll give a handout and let sort everybody sort of solidify, um, their thing there. But yeah, I'm, I'm much more in analog. I love D I like the D 20 stuff. I think it's great, but I'm a big hater of microtransactions. And I know D and D has tried. This will be the third time they've attempted to sell you every, well, technically since second edition, those guys have always, tried to sell you more stuff and i'm very nervous that all this is and that's another I thing i don't have a problem with i don't have a problem with with wizards of the coast running their company how they want if they want to go down the the microtransaction thing that's fine i'm not going to be part of it anyway i'm not a player of 5e so it, it doesn't really affect me that's true How, yeah however what does bother me is the fact that these guys are the elephant in the room they are when people think role-playing games they think D and that's it mm-hmm. yeah. Most people like yeah. i said don't even know that there are other games so when you mm-hmm. see D represented by this company who is now trying to say through their actions that D and is this it is an right. online platform. it is about making characters and and having microtransactions that's going to this is then what you have is a whole generation of people who because they are the 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 elephant in the room that these this new generation of people is unaware that there's a better experience out there that there's a more dynamic tactile physical experience Mm -hmm. out there and and that's you know i said in an interview last week about how i'm afraid something could be lost by this by dd going fully online and that's what i'm talking about that experience of be uh, of 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 actual human interaction could be lost by the the elephant in the room saying no 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 this is what dd is now just because they're trying to make a buck you know so that's what bugs me about it if if wizards of the coast had some serious competition from any of these other companies I'd be like, doesn't matter, do what you want, but they don't. And so consequently, I'm I'm afraid of, of a time 10, 15 years from now when all the kids are, are going to look at me and have no idea what I'm talking about. Yeah, right. People sitting around a which, table playing the game. Yeah. Which is, which is cool that the local game store I'm going to, they're actually expanding. Oh, that's great. So they're moving their board game retail space. Um I think they're still on the same block, but their old space, they're going to make it an event space. Cool. So the board game socials, the RPG days, the free RPG day and all that type of stuff. If you need a place physical, you can rent out a table or whatever. They still have that. And I, and I hope more local game stores 
do that. Yeah, encourage the physical, and and uh, yeah. Give yeah. That all this to, to say too. Obviously, there's there's people out there mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. can only play online. Yeah, right because right. of their circumstances. Yes. I yes, have yes, no yes. problem with that at all, man. I play online mm-hmm. all the time. I have yeah. friends mm-hmm. in all these different cities. That's how we have to do it. So mm-hmm. you adapt, you you do it fine. I'm just saying that it would be a shame if 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 the old ways were lost. Well, basically, <laughs> yes. it, it. I mean, Q-tips aren't are called Q-tips because the company was Q-tip. Like it's it's where the name D and D is. No matter what you're playing, is it's called D and D by a lot of people, and you don't necessarily want that. I know when I was growing up, we played Werewolf so much that when I said let's play D and D, no one thought it was D and D. Right. So we would just be like, let's play Werewolf because my little group that was our thing. But we still, weirdly enough, instead of saying let's play Werewolf and that meant D and D, we said let's play D and D and that meant Werewolf. So it's <laughs> obvious that that pops up. And in fact, now when I say let's play D and D, I absolutely have not meant D and D in the last twenty years ever because I'm not. I've, I've tried them and I've not been a fan since probably sec. I wasn't even a huge fan since Second Edition. Um. And and so, yeah, it, it, there can be some things lost. I think I think the cool thing about people, though, is I have found a huge yearning, even in our discord uh, for people to at the bare minimum, get a little bit more into physical groups now because of two years of not. Right. And so my hope is, is that, though, you know, there's still that pushback for more analog and people like, you know, going go at least for a while going back and that we don't have it because, yeah, you certainly don't want that. And I think it's a disservice, um, you know, but if you call it role playing, there is also a weird connotation with that. And like sometimes if I say role playing, depending on the group, somebody will make a mature comment. And you're like, oh, I get it. <laughs> like, but in my, in my brain, I didn't get it because I, I, I mean, even though I joke like that, I was not thinking that way. But I, I do get it uh, that it's easier sometimes to just classify it as D and D and just be like, okay, it's D and D. Speaking of that, we have some questions here. Ronan says, I've never played D and D or role playing myself, but what would be some good reading choices to get into lore to see if I would be interested? So that's the weird thing because. There's D&D books based on their worlds, but that's he, he's talking about anything. Is there any good novels for games that are also supported by uh, role playing, you know, that you guys uh, have liked? I have them to my left. Nope, oh, we have some. Do you have ex- do you have any concrete examples? Uh, Legend of Drizzt. I love oh, yeah. I love that your depth of field doesn't know who Drizzt is. <laughs> um <laughs> So that's yeah, so that people yeah. know that's Forgotten Realms, um, yeah. which would is also if you're a vid, video game fan, you're talking about yeah. Pillars of Eternity and stuff. So you've got mm-hmm. that. Um, yeah. Or well, actually, that. sorry, I meant Sword Coast, Baldur's Gate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the Ari Salvatore, his, yeah. his his uh, Crystal Shard series was yeah. really good. That was that was in the that mm-hmm. was in the Gray Box days of Forgotten Realms, which I thought was its heyday. Yeah, um, when it was still empty, it was awesome. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. That was a great series. Um, his 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 whole Menzo Baranzan series too about the the background of Drizzt I thought was fantastic. So did I. Yeah, the best Forgotten Realms books I thought. Yeah, Ed Greenwood, who is the creator of the Forgotten Realms, turns out um, can't write a novel to save his life. I remember I read, I read I read Spellfire and Azure Bonds. I think that was happening. Oh, Azure Bonds was not very good. No, and and it, it's it was just I was reading Spellfire, going, oh, I hope he doesn't DM like this. <laughs> Oh, I never even thought about that. That would be awful. You know, and speaking of DMs and D&D games, Dragonlance is probably the premier example of a D&D game turned into novels. And and it's my favorite of all time. Um, More of a romantic. 
Uh, I would certainly say lower reading level than what you guys hear me talk about on the channel where I'm talking about like Eisenhorn Inquisitors Warhammer 40,000. I was, was going to bring up Eisenhorn. Actually. Yeah, but Eisenhorn would, might be a good <laughs> spot for you guys because Henry Cavill, if that's the if that's right. the show, then there's a really good time for you to jump in, which would be now. Um yeah. Would be the I have Dragonlance and Eisenhorn directly to my left right now. Dude, I've read Dragonlance so many. <laughs> David David Gamel is my favorite writer of all time, but my favorite world is Dragonlance. Um, it's mm -hmm. it's un and Ravenloft is obviously spectacular. It's a little hard to DM because it's a weird world, but uh, mm -hmm. as an idea, man, Ravenloft lit my fire. Honestly, I remember if if your if your viewer is is looking for like sort of inspiration to sort of understand what role playing is. You don't need to read novels, though. Like, honestly, <laughs> I would say get your hands on a copy of the yeah, old source book set from 1981. Yeah. Because that's what did it for me. Yeah. You know, right. reading that old mm -hmm. that old in the pink box by um, Tom, not not Menser, uh, uh, Moldvay, the Moldvay Moldve edition, which is my first edition of it. Mm -hmm. Just in the pages of that book alone, it, it just oozes adventure and it yeah. oozes all the things that D&D is supposed to be about. So uh, really, I'd say that I'd say just go to the go to the source, go to the originals and flip through it that was going to be my cheat too because novels um also can lock you so for example Dragonlance never really succeed even though the episodes or the modules are actually incredible they uh it was very difficult to break away from a tannis half elven because you were just like this is the main guy from the books so it was weird to it, there was a lot that was you just said something interesting where you said back when it was empty the worlds have filled out so much with so much source material and so much blah 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 that at times if you read a book you're like so am I just, am I just like the same character from the book? Like what exact, how do you really play it? So the idea would be to read, yeah, source books are awesome. And you can find some that are almost all flavor now, which I actually find very cool. There's a couple companies that have just decided that, yeah, they've got some rules in the back, but it's really just like, we're going to cover a province somewhere. And those can be very cool, but it's really about where you're coming from too. Because if you're futuristic, it's going to be way different, you know, than if you're fantasy which is going to be, you know, like Trevor brought up Traveler. They're pretty dry. Uh, mm -hmm. They're yeah. pretty fucking, they're like, <laughs> they're they're like textbooks. But to me, they're, that was what reference manuals. That's what got manuals. me into it. Like Battletech would just mm -hmm. be a Battletech and then a bunch of stats. And I remember my brain was like, fuck yeah. But I know <laughs> if I gave that to somebody, they'd be like, why am I reading a technical what? manual? I have no clue. <laughs> have um, you ever seen, uh, have you ever seen the Hardmaster game? You, yes, you know for, I absolutely know what that is. Yeah, very, my very. Game, my favorite yeah. game of all time. But when you look at the character sheet, it's terrifying. It is. They're like, is this an IRS? Like, right. like is this the yeah. sheet that I asked? Fill out your 1040B, baby, for your character. <laughs> really? Yeah, wow. yeah. It's very, it's like Traveler and the fact that they were, Um, they, I think it was, was that before second edition, right? Harn was way. Yeah, the, yeah. the original Harn Master was way back. Way then. back when. And those guys came from tabletop anyway. So like a lot of their stuff was wargaming and they wanted a lot of stats and. Uh, that one had a lot of stats and there was one. Well, Traveler obviously had a lot of stats. I think a lot of those older ones, especially around second edition, were stats heavy because they felt that there shouldn't be an interpretation for anything. Right. Because, and because, as you said, those guys were coming from wargaming. And, right. And, like all those games in the 80s. They look at it. Very much like technical manuals. They do. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, like yeah. like it, it's not chapter three character creation. It's section seven point five point two strength, yeah, point five point three dexterity, right? And you go through that mm-hmm. because that's the way it was. That's the way those old war games in the seventies were. Yeah, and so mm-hmm. the style just continued. But if I have so many of those games still sitting on my shelf, and every now and then I go back to them, and I'm oh nostalgia. But no one today would look at this and go, "How do you like?" what is this what yeah is yeah <laughs> would have no idea i mean um i i would say also uh what, who's this ronan if you if you ping in d uh in the discord again and explain maybe what world you're looking at because i will say if so, i do have a tendency to like people uh, to uh sort of push somebody to something that maybe they have other references for at the same time so for example dune came out recently um, mm-hmm. While I didn't love the new movie, I, I I liked it. It was a new movie, but there's a game called Fading Suns, which is probably my favorite of all time in in atmosphere, and it is very Dune. I, I mean, it is like got royal houses and you know it's got symbiotes, which are very close to Tyranids from Warhammer, but it's got all this stuff. And I would say if you liked Dune, then you could pick that up and go, oh, okay, I can sort of understand, and my brain has some visual references, because I think visual references are uh, needed on older books, too, because they didn't have the money for art. I remember looking at Fading Suns, and it was like every other page there might be a black and white, and then every fourth or fifth page maybe a color, where now sometimes you open those things up, and it's almost like a comic book, because yeah. they want to capture... that. The, 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 yeah. th- there isn't as much reading really they're just like mm-hmm. they want you to to see it uh versus you know have to best have to example of, of that i ever saw and there was many but but the one that jumps to my mind is uh warhammer fantasy roleplay first edition where you you read that book and you see the art and right away you're in the empire right away you get it's it. the it's the best and the best cover at least to me is second edition i don't know if the first was the same but it's got what's his name and the dude's got like the warhammer i st- uh, the the mace and you see even a single picture it, by the way one of my favorite worlds of all time and great rules T- per- percentile i love percentile because everybody knows how to do it like 90 percent uh but yeah you're right they i mean when you see and even every little black and white it was like dirty pockmarked dude and you're like what the? this is a nasty world it was almost like they went anti-fantasy they were like yeah we're not gonna well it was it was like it was like uh, a dark renaissance version of europe right and then you get and and the beautiful thing is you get art by ian miller and all of these guys yeah really German Gothic fairy yeah. tale to it, and that's like the 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 pictures of of the moon with the leering face. Yeah, the, yeah, like, the leering face in the moon. That's that's right out of those Steve Jackson sorcery books. Hey, absolutely, that, like, yep, absolutely. The, 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 those those uh, those settings were so so inspired by that art, and I just yeah, for sure, pick up those books. Pictures worth a thousand, a thousand words. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, and art. it's so crazy that their art, um, Warhammer. Um, it, in fact, I would say Fading Suns is not near as good when it comes to art. Uh, some of their art's pretty sketchy, but Warhammer in particular, I remember seeing that from. I was at Trump's hobby. Shout out to them. I don't know if they're still even open in Oregon. And I was. They had all their D and D at the very end. They were a model shop with D and D stuff. And I walked in and at the very back, I saw this gray greenish cover that nothing looked like with yellow writing saying Warhammer. And I was like, what the fuck? And I got close and it was the most visceral, like people are, you know, there's like swords getting hit and chain link coming off the one guy, the chains are being hit. And they had a critical role system at the back that was like, 
the man's arm flies off and blah, blah, blah. And I remember that was like where I, that was the first thing I read in Warhammer. And I'm like, dude, this is mine. Like I have no clue. And it was one of those times where you read it and the rules weren't great. They had a lot of little gaps here and there. They tried a, a bunch of skills. They didn't, they had less interpretation, but more than others. But uh, that art was, and their art is still good, even with the other companies, I think. Oh I think yeah, they, like Warhammer 4th, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of, of the fixes they've done to the system. Right. But the, the production value, of course, because this is, this is uh, uh, Free League now that's doing the, the or no, sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it Hog? Is uh no, it's is it was a cubicle seven. I forget. Oh, it was doing. cubicle seven. They've got it out. They, yeah, they are. They are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cubicle seven is doing the fourth. Uh, great company. Uh, those books are are works of art. Again, just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Uh, very different than the first two editions. Certainly, I like, agree. I yeah, the fourth edition is almost more contemporary heroic fantasy feeling. It's a little softer. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas to me, the Warhammer world is always going to be. Ian Miller. It's going yeah. to be it's going hedge to wizards and pox. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Everyone's covered in shit. Everyone, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rules where you decapitate a guy and his head flies off two d six, you know, yeah. feet. And you rolled the feet. Remember, you <laughs> rolled the feet for how far the head went. You were like, "I'll do that." Oh, it went farther than yours. Yeah. Continue. Sorry, I just love that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's uh, so that that I mean that uh, that world. I remember I was captured by that world, not from the book itself, but from an article or an advertisement in Dragon Magazine. It was like a oh. three-page uh, three page spread in Dragon Magazine. This is back in the early 80s or mid-80s, I guess. And I flipped through it, and it was this, just even everything, like the font they used. The, yeah. The, it's this old Gothic Renaissance German kind of yep. feel to it. And it it was a story. It was a which normally I'm not big into prose in my my game supplements. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to make my own stories. Get me to the rules. But this was so compelling because it was so different than everything that had come before. Because at that point, everything was very much D and D. It was very much TSR era D and D. Yeah. Much your your fighters and your magic users and your clerics and stuff. And this said, what if there's gunpowder? <gasps> oh, that's right. New. Gunpowder wasn't like reliable. You pulled a flintlock, it could blow up in your face more, more often than right. it's going to shoot a bullet at the enemy. Um, now, instead of medieval fantasy, we're doing early renaissance, renaissance yeah where where yeah. surgery is becoming a thing where science is just beginning to pop and the black out. and white surgery there's a black and white picture of the surgery in the in the book where like a dude he's got like the intestines out of yeah. the guys and it's just a sketch but you're like <laughs> yeah. whoa that's in a book yeah. like yeah exactly yeah. Or, or the 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 notion i remember in first edition i loved this so much where they were talking about insane asylums in the yes Empire because Insanity was a real thing. Yeah, you, it was like Call of, you know the old joke was you're playing Warhammer, you think you're playing D and D, turns out you're playing Call of Cthulhu. Exactly. You know, that's, yeah, that's what it was. But there was yeah. rules for like if you were taken to an insane asylum, in order to have insanity points reduced, they would take hot pokers and burn them into yeah. your skull to release the pressure. Yeah, dude, wow. it's so it, it's it's so nuts. And they did some they did two things smart. First, they went away from two hit armor class zero shit. It was percentile, which I got to admit, I. It, in the old days, you'd talk to somebody about like a D20 or D10 or whatever, and they were like, what? But percentile worked. But also, when you look at their character, they always chose, it was it Godric? Uh, the do- there was the dwarf and Felix, the... Yeah, Felix. Felix. No, Gortrex. not Gore-Tex. That's a that's Gortrex. a that's a that's that's cloth. It was like Gotrid or yeah, Gotrek. And they as the store as they did examples, it was always them. And I remember at the very end of the book, 
the character and the choices and everything like that, the examples they were using for whatever rule they said. So if, if he's doing this now and I was just like, oh, it's the same guy all the time. It's much easier to track. It's not like and there were other examples that they used, but for the most part, it was always them. And and you, then you find out on the fucking cover is that guy. And so you're like, oh, I get it's like this. It's this it's this ability to give the data to a player uh, visually that then also reflects in the rules, which is funny enough, something you said where like fantasy flight, where, you know, they'll give an example and the rule is example is wrong here. Everything fit into everything else. And, you know, there were mistakes. I remember there were a couple times where I was like, "Mm, I don't I don't know if this is making a lot of sense, but overall their ideas were so sound and so different that a person who played D and D could still jump in. And what they did was they made the rules easy. I, I believe they were easier, at least for me to track um, because they were based on the old Warhammer, uh, like, you know, MS BS strength, toughness, but a person can pick, they can usually people can understand that, you know, and they're like, they can, they yeah. can make that switch. So yeah, if you get a chance, man, check those out. I, I don't know how much, I wonder how much an original, Warhammer fantasy roleplay book costs. No no one's getting mine. No one's getting mine either. (laughs) So I've got second edition. I believe mine is second though, but I've got the third and fourth and fifth. It wasn't huge. There's something, I wasn't a huge fan of of their art, but um, yeah, yeah, that would be a good one, Ronan. But if you tell us what, if you pop back in and say what world you're, you know, future fantasy, modern, they all have something different. Um, And Oh, go for it. Oh, sorry. sorry. No, by and all means. You could also create his own worlds. Like there's journaling games where you could generate a world, you build the history, and you could maybe do one of those. You could go to itch.io and find any of those, a PDF, and just run through that. I, dude, you just you just open people up to 8,000 downloads, man. Itch.io. <laughs> I, I know. Dude. I wish I had one I could recommend. I think one's called A Quiet Year. A Quiet Year is awesome. Quiet Year is Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did Vampire, the uh, the thousand-year-old vampire, whatever. Mm -hmm. That was that was sweet. That was the first one where I was like, oh, I I sort of get what they're going with this. Um, Mm -hmm. Holiday Johnny says, question for the podcast: How can how do you tell stories in a compelling way? This could apply to mundane stuff like anecdotes. How can you turn something ordinary into an interesting listening experience? Well, if you're talking about story, then you're talking about characters and every character needs an obstacle to overcome. A character without conflict is boring. Uh, So for me on my channel, especially when I'm doing the show, the number one thing that always, 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 always I come back to is what is the next obstacle to be overcome? Because if you have a character a lot of people say this. A lot of people say, well, I, I, my games are boring because I don't know what to do and nothing happens in it. Well, take the old advice from, from the writer whose name escapes me now. If nothing's going on, uh, three guys with guns burst into the room. <laughs> right? Like, seriously, that's, that's yeah. legitimate advice. Just yeah. have something happen where your characters now have to deal with, with the conflict. And something's going to happen and you go from there. So I think that's probably the most crucial piece of advice I could give you is if you're looking to have an interesting sort of narrative experience, regardless of what that is, or if you're a writer and you're trying to figure out how to how to make your stories better, how to all that kind of stuff, it's it's all ultimately the same thing. It's all about mm-hmm. conflict and putting characters in moments of conflict. The difference with a role playing game is is that the GM provides the conflict. He does not provide the outcome of the conflict. Yeah, right. That is yes. for players to determine for themselves through the use of games of chance, which is yeah. typically dice rollers, right? Yeah, watch Total Recall, and that's pretty much, he has a mundane life, work in construction, and then suddenly he's, yeah, pops off. Yeah, you know, <laughs> um, I don't really think I have, 
I mean, luckily, I don't get a lot of complaints about my games. So, you know, I, I do some feedback here and there to see. So hopefully they're interesting. But I would say conflict is the main one. I would also say the big thing for us, it depends on what you're talking about for your game. But for our group, one thing I do is I definitely play to the strengths of the group. So if a group has a person who is comfortable talking in third person um, so that people understand what I mean, some people do a voice and say, I'm coming for you. And then some people will say, my character says, I'm coming for you. Those are two really different tonally things. And I will definitely make sure to highlight the third person stuff so that that person doesn't feel left out. Because I think it's very easy for a, a person who's um, uncomfortable to sort of feel left out or not want to feel comfortable. I want them to feel as comfortable uh, as possible. I would also say, realize players aren't characters. And... Um, Sometimes you got to roll for intelligence, man. You know, everybody wants to roll for strength and stamina. And I'm like, dude, that's not the same thing. Sometimes your character knows stuff about, you know, a computer system that you as a player won't know. It's my job to make sure you understand why your character knows that. And uh, feeding off your players is the most important thing. I it, I mean, that it's like, like you said with, you know, whether it be conflict or even whether it just be some interesting note about the game world, if the player feels like they got that note because of something they did or some knowledge they have, it, then it, it lets them sort of feel like they're the star and everybody should be the star at some point. Um, that's, that's, uh, that's really crucial to what you, what you say there, because you're talking about player agency. You're talking yeah. about the fact that. Uh, the the power of a role playing game is that you're you're inhabiting a character, whether that's a fir the first person, third person, regardless, you are portraying this character in some way, and your choices have to matter, and that's on the GM. That's on yeah. the GM to make sure that the players have meaningful choices. And what I mean by that, of course, is that um, uh, if the players are in a situation, they have to have the ability to try and legitimately affect the world around them. Yeah. What that means is dependent upon the context, of course, but they have to, their choices have to be um, such that they have the potential to alter events. And that doesn't mean they automatically succeed. It just means they have the potential to try and, yes. and to try new things, right? That's, that's the beauty of games. That's the beauty of role-playing games. Yeah. And as a, a, some advice to a DM, I would say too, is that um, if somebody fails multiple times, that is in effect affecting the game so for example we have a character who was trying multiple times to start their own little like criminal syndicate and it didn't work but what it did do is piss off everybody who knew they continued to fail and so they were like haha i failed again failed again and they were like i'll just keep trying until people showed up and were like what are you doing and they were all oh but i didn't succeed yet and it's like that means nothing you were still attempting these things people still pick up on that and they st you know it's like you see that in movies in fact the best ones are the failed guy who tries and you, it's like it didn't work and they still get in trouble and you come out of the other end going oh my god what do i do and it's like it, it, that reaction of the world player agency is super important but so is also that there's got to be a reaction from there's got to be a reaction even at some point you can still have characters do something nothing happens but at some point, there has to be that feeling of like um, there have to be consequences. Yeah, right? and, and even consequences to both success. And exactly, exactly. And and a good DM usually doesn't need to actually. I've seen DMs who go too far, and you're like, you didn't really. 
didn't really need to be all that. It could have just been a very small thing. Like, you know, uh, 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 we've had people where we were trying to sneak and we thought we were doing a good job. They were failing and a neighbor called the cops and the cops showed up and they thought it was all about the thing. And it wasn't. They were like, yeah, somebody called and said you were here. And they were like, are you kidding me? That's amazing. <laughs> they were so happy that somebody had called the cops because they were like, I never I'm so accustomed to a video game. We're like, the bad guy didn't see me. So no one cares. You know, the side person staring at you and you're like yeah. picking a lock and they're like, hey, what's up? Not much. You know, you just go back to it. So um, next up, uh, we'll get you in a game, Johnny, too. Uh, Kasiri says this question might be beaten to death in some circles. But as a beginner who would like to start small and create something for one or two other beginners. Uh, this is going to this is hitting perfect. Uh, what resources should you use to create a succinct and enjoyable experience without delving too much into rules? So he I wants mean, to create something for starter kits. They yeah, do have starter kits. Kits, just for starter kits are good. Um, yeah. I would say again, you can you can kick it old school, man. You can go back to the source. You can go back to the original D and D books or one of their many clones because they're all the same rules. Like mm -hmm. uh, old school essentials, I think, is just basically a reprint of of original uh, or or uh, Moldvay era D and D. Yeah. D and D toolbox. Would, yeah, like like if if that's what you want to do, I would actually say don't start with five e, because five e mm -hmm. is kind of geared towards old men like me that fell away from D&D right. and bring them back. Uh, mm -hmm. If you go back to the source and look at like Moldvay era D&D, um, the whole book is less than 64 pages. Yeah. The whole, yeah. The whole robot. Play yeah. characters up to third level is all in there. The DM advice, the monster, everything is in that little booklet. And it's so easy because I, I, I believe that 5e gets a little obsessed with rules and rules are great if you're a guy like me and you love you love to engage with systems but if you're brand new like like you are a beginner mm -hmm. and you want to have begin the the key experience for beginners again is to is to bring them back to what we said previously which is the rules are sort of not as important as yeah. the experience of having agency and seeing consequences of your character's actions that's the most important thing, because that's the thing that's going to keep these people coming back. That's going to lead to that eye-opening moment of, oh my God, this isn't like a board game or a video game. I can actually try something that the designers didn't tell me. I right. Could try. Yeah. Exactly. Right? Mm -hmm. That's the key experience. It has nothing to do with whether you're rolling a d20 or you're rolling percentiles or you're rolling right. a dice pool. All of that's irrelevant to the beginner. All that matters to the beginner is, <gasps> wow, right? Like, like you know, Fatal, you could probably talk to this because this is a fairly mm -hmm. recent experience for you, right? This mm -hmm. idea of that moment of, wow, this is so cool, you know? Yes, like, uh, for instance, I, I forget what book came out where you could play monsters. As um, monsters? And I put as monsters, yeah, Xanathar or something. Or I haven't something heard of like it. That. Probably, yeah. And was doing a one shot at the game shop and I decided to try and dance in order to influence this goblin cult. Awesome. Rolled a 20 and this dance made me the leader of the goblin cult. <laughs> this is how we ended the one shot. Yeah. Like I danced so good. It was like dancing with the stars. That's and great. I didn't expect it to happen, but I rolled with it and it was, it was awesome. And even if you grab like a choose your own adventure book, I know Carrick loves those. Yeah. And you could run them through that as like a, teaser yeah even as a teaser yeah know? yeah well remember in the podcast we did uh last week are you okay for time trevor 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when, I have no lights at all. Uh, okay, me neither. <laughs> um, I, I love that Cadiz told me. I've known Cadiz now for 35 years. So when he told me this, I was like, I'm sorry, what? I'd never heard this. But his first D&D experience was somebody reading him the Lone Wolf book and then him making the, cho- the two choices. And I was like, dude, that's brilliant. Like, that was when he told me, I was like, are you kidding me? That's perfect because it you get to sit back, you hear a story, you still get to roll. There's still, you know, there's still a couple choices. You get to decide, even though it's more locked down, you still get to make an impact on the world and and and, and sort of move forward from there. I would also say, and I'm going to talk to, I, I wanted to bring this up um, anyway in this, but I want to shout out one shots and also tell you not to do them. So there's two ways there. Uh, I, I say one shots. What I mean is one page RPG. So there's big explosion right now of an incredible idea, which almost any DM who's been DMing for longer than five years has said, hey, everybody come over and we're just going to play something. We're in an insane asylum. You might be a superhero. You might be a spy. You wake up in your in your uh, ass hanging out of your, you know, your your hospital suit. What do you do? And everybody and we just create the world. There's a, these one pages are fantastic. Entire Reddit's based around them. But I will tell you one thing you one you want to talk to you want to figure out these other players series and what if they're really rules heavy, there's some ideas you might you would go towards not rules heavy, but more rules. You might go towards uh, older D&D books. If they're really rules light, you might go towards a one page. But be aware that those are very uh, contingent on the players really buying in and you can stymie yourself if a player just doesn't you know, there's only three stats. A lot of times there's only a couple things you are really, uh, it, they're very open and I love them, but be aware. Cause they sound like a cheat. Uh, one page RPG sound like the easiest way to get in. They can be mm-hmm. just depends on the player. True. So, yeah. um, I love that. Probably better for kids. Uh, um, I don't know about kids. I just know that, that you just have to, you, you got to know your players, man. I vet all mm-hmm. my players because I don't want to dick. To be honest, uh, but like I'm, I vet every single person who's going to play. I'm like, dude, you know, team, we got to, you know, I don't mind internal turmoil between characters, but it can never overlap and it shouldn't make, it should make sense. Absolute sense with those yeah. characters. But uh, the reason why I vet is because it's like, you don't want a terrible time. And I think also just vetting to know what they like. You know, if you say, Hey, yeah. everybody come over, we're doing a superhero game. We know Reg on our podcast hates superheroes. Well, that would be a shitty game for Reg. So I would never say Reg, you would be involved in this game. So I would say Casiris, make sure, you know, find what your players like and, and then go from there. Um, it's very cool to see people, having so many inroads, but it can also be styming. Like you can be stymied by having too much choice and be like, for sure. I don't would, know. I don't Reg prefer to be a super villain. No, <laughs> Reg <laughs> hates superheroes, man. Dude, he hates superheroes. <laughs> like I talk to him all the time about it. And it's just like, I can get him to play a, a couple things. But if, if I was to bring up superheroes, like even in the podcast, when we talk about superhero games or movies, he's just like, just, just not I'm the for same him. way. I've, I've, I've done endless superhero cartoons, both as a voice actor and, a, and as a writer. I'm just mm-hmm. not interested in it. Oh, I never even thought about that. Were you at first though, and that you've done it so much that it's burned you out a little bit? No. No, I was no? never a superhero fan. I was never a comic uh, book guy. None oh, we that. never talked about this. This is interesting. Okay, so how do you do that then? Um, I mean, money, obviously. Ignoring that though, <laughs> right? How do you, uh, what, um, does it impact you or maybe it doesn't impact you, I guess? No, because, you know, when I'm when I'm on a show, um, it, it's always the same. It, you're playing a character. In right. A 
to have to overcome obstacles and you commit to that and it doesn't matter what the genre is it's always the same right yeah mm. people are people are people even if they're space raccoons right right, right. Um, so yeah but but when i started writing for marvel that was a big deal because i was like i don't even i remember the first the first task they gave me the first assignment they gave me was to write an episode of avengers assemble and mm. This, it was in the middle of a big thing, all kinds of stuff going on with all these characters and stuff. And I remember looking this going, but how do I write what I hate? Right. I... <laughs> and I don't hate it. It's just I always felt that superheroes were kind of soap operas. Yeah. And they were always, because yeah. every comic I ever read in the superhero genre, it always just it was like a soap opera. There was all this intense, dramatic stuff, but nothing ever changed. Yeah. You always the status quo always stayed exactly the same. There was no mm -hmm. consequences to actions. Right. Because no everything lasting, would yeah. just kind of reset, reset the way it mm -hmm. is and where and it was like I don't there's no there's it's stagnant to me, the 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 comic world it, in terms of the storylines. Yeah. It was just mm -hmm. stagnant. So I never so when I started writing for Marvel, I was I was trying to throw wrenches in the works. I was like, but what if this thing happens where we kill that character and it's going to change? And they're like, yeah, the character's dead until next episode. Yeah, right. I'm like, no, you, you missed the whole point. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yeah, you I know, think they got a system. So I, they got over. I hadn't even, man, I, I've, this is blowing my mind. I had never once thought of talking to you about this, but I have such a problem getting, um, bought in if i don't luckily i like everything for the most part but like i'm trying to think of like an age a time renaissance wouldn't but i like warhammer um but of course that's pox and shit uh but i mean there's certain time frames where if somebody said hey we're gonna play world war one i'd probably be like mm, not for me i never thought about this dude i never thought about what it would be like and especially you having to write for it i have to be i have to like I don't know how to describe it, but people know because they'll usually see me on Discord for like 48 hours in a row when I'm excited about something like energy goes <laughs> through the roof and I don't control it. I'm not one of those people that's like, I must get to sleep at eight. If I'm excited about a game world or whatever, you're going to and no one's going to question if I'm excited. But if I'm not excited, I disengage completely. So when mm. you were there and you were having to write this, if you can talk about this. Yeah. yeah. Um, what what tools what tools did you use to get the ability to do it coherently at all? Did you, you, you kind of, you see through, you see past the genre. So I was oh. not inherently, I was not inherently interested in superheroes, but when you see past the genre and you realize you're just talking about characters who yep. are again, I've, I'm sounding like a broken record, but characters that are, that have objectives and they're trying to overcome these obstacles, then everything else suddenly becomes irrelevant. Everything else becomes window dressing at that point. So when I'm writing mm -hmm. a scene between, uh uh claw and black panther i also played claw which was pretty cool yeah definitely <laughs> cool um when i would write a scene between them you you drill down to what is true and what is true is not about the fact that black panther has these cool claws or that he can do all these things and he's got this powerful vibranium suit or any of that stuff that that's irrelevant what is true mm -hmm. in the scene is who has the power in the scene? Who's trying to get the power in the scene? What's at stake? What's at stake for these characters? And once you drill past the genre, then everything else becomes window dressing. Then it becomes, oh yeah, and by the way, there's a fight scene that happens here. And then I write a big fight scene in an alley where they're you know, taking dumpsters and hurling them at each other and all that superhero stuff. But that, it's all incidental to what the scene mm -hmm. is with these yeah. people, 
And, you know, superheroes, I mean, it's obvious that if you, you know, you read comics, you almost have to have CTE or some kind of concussion syndrome because they, they do re they do come back every time. So what you're saying is what you did is ignored the, the fact that they may come back. You're just like, what matters is right now, which is that this guy hates this other guy. It doesn't matter if he's going to die because he'll come back. You're just talking about right now. Those emotions between these two characters are as real as I can write them. Interesting because fuck, this is interesting. Dude, I never in a million years thought of asking you this. I'm so glad it came up because um, as somebody who's doing what you do, you always seem you know vitally interested in it. And I'm somebody who luckily I create about video games. So if somebody said, hey, create about World War II, you would see me just leave. I would walk away. <laughs> I'd be like, bye, I'm not doing YouTube anymore. So the idea that you did this, am I right in assuming that did this teach you how to be better? Did it did it help your other stuff because you were f not forced, but because you were you, you sort of had to remove this extraneous stuff? Do you felt that it made other stuff that you did better because uh, there were some rules applied that yeah, maybe I I think absolutely because you know it's very easy to get to get caught up in uh, either a series of bad habits as a creator yeah. or it's very easy to to like to focus on something that you think you don't like but if you look past it you realize there's something there for example uh, I was never particularly interested in sci-fi gaming. It was never really on my radar. I ran Traveler a couple times, but it was mm -hmm. never something I got passionate about. But but by throwing myself or being thrown into the deep end with the Marvel team and having to 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 dive deep into a genre that I I didn't really know anything about and I didn't particularly care about it 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 forced me to open my eyes it forced me to open my eyes creatively to look at okay well again what is the truth in here and how can I drill to that and as soon as you do that I suddenly realized oh I want to run a sci-fi thing oh, damn you know, son I, this is awesome I, to I, hear yeah like I, I had no interest in westerns either ever the, the whole genre just completely but since I was writing for Marvel and I was I had to I had to create in genres that I had no interest in suddenly my there's something clicked in my head where I was like now I kind of want to do a western gotcha and I want to <laughs> see what the truth about the situation is because right. again it doesn't matter the fact that they're slinging guns. That's all just window dressing. What matters is the truth of these characters in that moment. So yeah, I think it. I think it That's had a awesome. huge effect on me. Um, it's awesome. funny you mentioned. So I do the opposite, but not obviously forced or not forced, but you know, get that opportunity. But for me, what will happen is, uh, for example, I've never liked westerns. I watched Silverado. Who who didn't? But yeah. uh, and of course, Tombstone. Come on. Mm -hmm. uh, but what got me into it was Firefly. I watched Firefly and I was like, okay, wait, Chinese mixed with English, mixed with space, mixed with cowboys. I mean, in the one of the episodes, they're shuttling cows in their yep, spaceship. I remember that. And mm -hmm. I remember going, where's the shit go? Like I was, uh, my brain was so alive. With, and then I started looking into Westerns and, you know, he's using like six shooters. I mean, come on. You know, you mm. see all this weird stuff come up and that did open up even um, the those ideals in other games that I did where I was like, OK, wait a minute. They don't need to always be running top secret, you know, plans to some space station. They can be running cows to a planet that needs food. And then suddenly mm. it's very down to earth. And now you have a and that's one of the things I do like about Westerns is most of them are never about the entire world. They're about, you know, that small town. Life. Yeah. And and mm -hmm. and the issues I mean, Firefly, they may have. There. Firefly was a traveler campaign. 
It was exactly very much that. a traveler campaign. Yeah, it very much was. Mm-hmm. And and by the way, absolutely brutal when that got canceled. I mean, I knew it was going to be. It was Fox. They canceled anything that was in Simpsons. But they they failed it in multiple ways. I do. I wish that it continued because that is one of those shows that I, my own mother was like, dude, what's this? I just saw this Space Cowboys show that is amazing. It's funny. And I'm like, dude, are you talking about Firefly? She's like, yeah, by the way, five years after it had been canceled. And I had to break it to her. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, Justified came along, which is basically a modern Western. And but I never told you my, my Nathan story because I knew Nathan from back in the day. I, I went to school with Nathan. Nathan Fillion. Oh wow. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah, you never told me that. No, I didn't know that. That's very cool. Yeah, for, that'll be off for off mics. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's just so cool to see. Uh, you know, with you doing that with comics, I definitely have noticed with shows and movies, I have a tendency to I'll I'll, I'll find something randomly and be like, oh, you know what? Maybe I wasn't. Maybe I was given this the short you know, the short end of the stick and, yeah, and, right. and what that, all that's done is made the other games more, more, uh, expansive so that, cause you can have Western. In fact, you can't tell me cyberpunk isn't a very great deal about Western, especially in like ragtag and wild and wild West kind of stuff, not knowing somebody's power at times, which I think is the great part about cyberpunk. You know, some shit might be hidden inside of them. You, you don't really know if they're the bad guy or the good guy. Um, and it allowed for me to grow those worlds so that somebody gets a little cyber or a little Western in their cyberpunk, a little, yeah, you totally. know, I, I'm running a vampire, the masquerade game for the first time ever now. Wait, which one, nice. which, uh, uh, uh the older, no, no, Sec- I'm, I'm, I'm using, I'm using the new rules V5 new rules. W- with Vampire the Requiem setting. Gotcha. Okay. So it's, mm. it's, it's a very, very different setting than the the Masquerade setting. Yeah, but right. Basically, uh, as I'm playing this game, as I'm running this game, I'm realizing that what I'm running is essentially a film noir. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. It's yeah. it's about this the intrigue between these these characters with these dark desires and these these plots going on and, and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. In a way, it's kind of like uh, modern day Game of Thrones in a way. Because yeah. It's all about the, ma- the machinations of of these various characters and how they influence the the world around them and stuff. But but you could take that concept and put it in a fantasy game. You could put it in a in a you could put it in a western. You could put it in any genre because. Mm-hmm. In the end, the genre is just kind of window dressing for yeah. for what's happening. Yeah. And if you can change them, I think it does cause player interest where a player is like, I didn't expect that because maybe the tropes aren't aren't normally copied over as much. I, right. I like think you were talking about your your friend before there who didn't want to play D&D, but then you ran, you know, Traveler, whatever it was. Yeah. And they went, oh, this is fun. Right. Is this what D&D is? And you're like, yes, <laughs> it's funny you mentioned Werewolf because I, I got to pour one out for them Um, there. They're. they're I'm I'm a big Werewolf the Apocalypse fan, um, Vampire the Masquerade. I've never been so impressed by a company's ability to take four or five rule sets and focus and, and ideals so that vampires thought one thing, werewolves thought another thing, but they were completely interchangeable in each one. And they've moved on. And there were some questionable stuff in, in the old days that people didn't like. Um, but Werewolf the Apocalypse, like I said, that was D&D to us because I would say for 10 years we played. And the idea is their rule, their rule system was a little different. You know, dice pools. Mm-hmm. I think people are give or take on dice pools. Um, that's a lot of rolling. It's a lot of rolling. And when you got 10, you got, you know, uh, somebody turning into a Krynos werewolf form, fighting some vampire. And you're like, okay, who, what exactly is going on here? But that was back in the day too, where I feel like artists were a little bit less worried about PC culture 
PC culture has some great fixes for some things, but it's become so um, everybody. It, it's like one focus to fix. It's almost like your focus where somebody said, hey, you're going to do super, superheroes. And you're like, OK, I got to I got to figure this out when you have all these voices. I think there's a danger of somebody writing something that is that is quite not edgy. Even I don't even know what the term would be, but very werewolf and vampire in particular had to hinge on darkness that was their thing and literally called the world of darkness. the world of darkness and it <laughs> and it, it was okay that there were so now we're getting a lot of games where they're like well we can't even have a bad person be bad because somebody's gonna say that we put a bad person in here so we're championing it. I'm like, if you played those games, I can tell you right now, that is not what was going on. In fact, they were hedged as the bad guys. Like that was, it was like, that makes it easier and, and gives you something to go. That dude is undeniably bad. And instead now you get almost what you were talking about with superheroes, where it's a little milk toast, where you're like, they're just, you're like, oh shit, you know. Like a soap this, opera, this, the bad this, guy is kind of good. The bad guy's kind of good really sometimes, bad. and you're like, yeah, bad mm -hmm. guys can do good, but sometimes it's great to have a bad guy. And I got to tell you, one of our games was six years long against one bad guy, and it was the game that every friend of mine is like, dude, that was the greatest. Every Tuesday, they were like, it didn't matter if they had to work. It didn't matter what. They were there in their work clothes from McDonald's going like, we yep. is six years. And when you finally I, defeated yeah. them, they were like, that is... Yep. He was so bad that it was like, thing. we did it. I, I ran the one ring, the, the first edition one ring for six mm. year, six year campaign mm -hmm. and it, and 40 years of game time, which is fantastic. <laughs> Dude. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. So good. But through it all, it was the same central villain through 40 years, 30 years or whatever it is in the game. It's the same central villain. And he, it was, it was exactly that. He was hands down a fucker. He was yeah, right, right, right. But they couldn't just go at him. They they couldn't. They there was all kinds of reasons for that. But they knew they had to deal with him. And at some point, they tried to reform him, and they kind of had some success. And then it fell back again. And it was just this constant yo-yo. But he was a proper villain. I yeah, mean, right. He was a bad. And if 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 I had portrayed him as anything other than proper villain who was fully motivated by the way with very human concerns he wasn't like mm -hmm. yeah i'm gonna twirl my mustache because i'm evil he was he had a reason for doing what he was doing but if i had mm -hmm. played him any less of the villain than he was nobody would have bought it they would yeah. have been like that was kind of lame because we didn't feel the threat from this guy so so with modern day games and this modern day sensibility about oh we have to have safety in our games and safe spaces okay you fucking pussies you know you're telling a story here and your bad guys got to be bad guys yeah right <laughs> the way it right. is like you should see some of the, the shit that people are doing with my vampire game right now it's intense stuff i'm talking like intense stuff that makes the players go oh my god but they love it because they right. signed up for that they yeah want they want to explore the darkness, the dark recesses of the human, you know, mind. They want it. They want to get filthy in that, and then walk away from it because guess what? In the end, it's a game. Yeah, we're all playing I've, a game. I've noticed that with Vampire, like a lot. Yeah, Vampires really definitely. Um, I, I definitely they've had some issues with some of the stuff they've written where I've been like, well, yeah, it's a bad guy. Um, but then people assume it means somebody's championing it, and it's like even in my own writing got some guys that are terrible and certain the reason why he's a villain is because of that 
Yeah. And the um, like I get. So, for example, when I vet people, I'm like, you know, is there anything, you know, that maybe you'd like is absolutely terrible that you wouldn't want me to say in a game. Admittedly, we don't really steer that way for the most part in our games. But that's also because players, if they have agency, steer away subconsciously. Sometimes they'll be like, oh, you know, we don't want to go to this dive bar because of this. Or we don't. And I'm like, dude, that's exactly what you should do. Like, that's the thing. But if you play, you know, if you play a gumshoe in a world of vampires and, you know, body transformation clubs, Blade 2, let's say, you got to, you know, then you need to make sure as a player you're ready. DM needs to, of course, make sure. But I do think that there needs to be more flexibility in saying bad guys are bad guys for a reason. And in fact, if they're not, then it, it becomes almost to the point to where, well, my heroes just killed 10 people. So am I the bad guy? If this guy isn't a bad guy... Even if he thinks it's, uh, by the way, a lot of good villains, of course, think they're doing good. That's the great villain. You know, some are psych uh, psychopaths, and that's also cool. But when you get that guy who's like, I'm doing this for a reason, man, and they got that impassioned plea. If you add on these other really dark things they do, it's much easier for the gunslinger to be like, smoke wagon time, that dude's dead. And if if they've killed 10, 15 of his bad guys on the way up at some point, that player has that question of like, dude, what am I doing? Like, am I, and that can also be a great story point. I don't want to take that away, but I do think that we're starting to see a weird oddity where, and we see it in video games as, to, uh, as well, where it's like, um, if you, if you remove some of the things that are dire and just tragic in every story, not all, because you, sh I think it's great if you don't have that in some, but if you want it removed in all, uh, we're starting to lose the idea of you know ter of terrible people. You you need to know what happened. Some people. Yeah, I mean, look at look. Sorry. Um, go ahead. I mean, Tim. look at a movie like Dread. Judge Dread. Carl Urban. New one or old? Okay, gotcha. Yeah, new one. Like she's a bad guy. <laughs> yeah. Like she's bad. Oh yeah, I see what well. you're saying. Yeah, right. She does, she does it, it well. well yeah, and, and people love that. Yeah. And Dread is no picnic either. Yeah. But she's ruthless. Yeah. And that's what made the movie work. And she has to be ruthless. Otherwise, he mm -hmm. at some point. Well, it's like uh, The Last of Us. Mm -hmm. Even my AI review I did where I had AI write the review for The Last of Us. The AI called Joel the bad guy. The uh, AI said mm -hmm. that. And it, it, it starts right at the starting. The bad guy, Joel, is sitting with his daughter. And I remember <laughs> reading that going, the AI just fucking said that. And then it said, like, <laughs> Joel shouldn't be allowed with women because he gets women killed. And I'm like, Jesus, this AI is smarter than a normal reviewer. Like, what is it? But so everybody knows it. And I think that it's OK to point at it and say that is a that is a bad thing. And um and when we get away from it, it does become milk toast at times. And it can it, players just. Unless they're just there for, you know, that's more of a board game, maybe, you know, where you're just like, let's mm -hmm. let's kill some monsters. And um, but uh, not for sure, I don't right. want to make no, sure it's not for if, if you're playing a casual game of D&D. &D. Exactly. All oh, right. Totally. We go into the caves. We kill the orcs. We take their stuff. Fine. We don't think about it too much. Great. And, and those games could be super fun. Those dungeon crawly games where you're not fully invested in the character. Not every game has to be this intense. And they shouldn't be. Drama. They shouldn't no, they be. be. Right. Yeah. You know? Because that can get super heavy. Like. You know, the, the guys that I have here uh, um, right now, my live group, they're, they're of an age with me. And so they 
we all have the same kind of ideals. So that's why I can play the vampire game yeah, with them. Right. Because right. they get it. They understand that that this, that's the point of the game is to explore the grossness, is to walk away feeling like you need to take a shower after yeah. the game. Because there's a morbid enjoyment in that. Knowing, and especially once the game's over, you walk away, you go back to your real life and everything's fine. But not everybody's cut out for that. And not every game is cut out for that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm certainly not suggesting that every game should be this horrible no, no. You know, psychological thing. But but at the same time, role-playing games can provide those kind of deeply emotional uh, uh, situations that a board game typically can't. The yeah. video game can strive for, but very rarely gets there because it's not fully mm -hmm. interactive, right? Because it's it's still mm -hmm. something. Yeah, it's still got a framework that requires you to do very particular things. Yeah, you know. So so I, I bring this up because you know there's this big thing in games now about safety tools and about X cards and all this stuff, and and honestly, all that stuff is is just. It does. It's it's designed to do the thing that we always did in the beginning, anyway. Which is like, okay, guys, oh, this is players. what the game is. This is kind mm -hmm. of the this is kind of the feel of it. Just so you know, it's going to be there's going to be some gross stuff here, and you know whether the players are on board with that or not. You know, and mm -hmm. so you know if you're playing with strangers, which of course is a big thing yes. with online yes, yes, stuff. Yes. And oh God, you know, like you said, uh, to pay, to pay somebody to DM. Well, I mean, I wouldn't want to walk into a, a digital room with strangers and not know what oh, I'd want to know everything. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Because if I start running my vampire game for a bunch of people who are freaked out at the slightest little bit of ickiness portrayed in a fictional character, then that's going to be a problem, obviously. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> a people, I, so you know, I get it. I, I think it. that yeah. we had. I think that the analog world that we grew up in, we had to do those things. And so they, they weren't a card because I was already doing that by knowing the person I, well, for example, we didn't have randoms because they were in school. They were people I knew. So there was no randoms, but I think when randoms are introduced, that's when, you know, as a DM, it's your job to make sure that, you know, the, the, and you can use these cards or what have you. But I think what, what's happened is that also the gamification of D and D came along so quickly that mm -hmm. some stuff didn't, people were just so excited to play that maybe they had not done the due diligence that we do of like get, verifying that what we're playing is going to be a certain yeah. thing. And uh, they you know, just jump right, they jump right in and, and yeah. And um, yeah. It, it's, it's, it's one of those things we see it in everything. So I'm not too surprised to see it. And I've seen some terrible things happen in games where I can tell like a Twitch or something where I'm like, I can tell somebody was not happy with what was done and they, you know, they hadn't done their due diligence. But I also think that, um, what, what's going on when you play on stream is a completely different thing. And yeah. that is what, for example, even myself, if I do a game and we're going to record it, I would make sure, I would make sure that people were watching it knew there's like these things were taken care of. Um, I think mm -hmm. what's happened is it became so popular so quick that people just jumped into it without thinking of ramifications of the fact that you may have 100,000 people watching it underage. Um, you know, like, I don't know. I don't know about Trevor, but I don't know if I would take my vampire game and put it online unless I've Ooh. marked that sucker 18 plus 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 because it, it's entire vampire sexuality anyway. Let's say old gothic vampire. That's just mm. that, but let alone then you add in, you know, all these kind of demons and all this stuff, you know, people can, people can read it the wrong way. And I think everybody wants their shit online so much that they just don't think about that. They're just not, 
they're just not prepared for everybody seeing it. I've dropped really crass jokes and I've had somebody say, hey, dude, this wasn't marked uh, child only. And I'm like, oh, shit. You know, I mean, you're on YouTube, so that's on you. But at the same time, I was also like, oh, you know, I get it. I did drop a really dirty joke and I, I do understand that a kid may have been in the room. But at the same time that at some point I have to say, well, that's, you know, you clicked it. So, you know, you yeah. Gotta... And, you know, like on my show, too, I always have the disclaimer at the beginning of every episode that says this is not intended for children. And that that's not because I'm swearing because I, I very specifically don't swear in the show. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, it's more about, you know, there's a lot of violence in the show. And yes, it's fictional violence against monsters and all that fantasy stuff. But it's on YouTube. You never know who's going to watch. And so you have to you do have to at least say Due diligence. All right. Just so you know, this is not going to be. And I kind of hate that you have to do that because I've always sort of been against any kind of uh, uh, even even like content warnings on on TV shows and stuff. Always right. Kind of ugly. It's like, come on, I'm a grown up. I can this, but not everybody's a grown up. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. And my parents watched what I watched. And I think that um, that was easy for them because there was a TV. There right. wasn't a tablet. And I think that um, I, I'm certainly not taking any responsibility away from parents to be parents. They should. But I think also the the level of input. If I was a kid, Jesus, like, I don't even know if I was a kid now, I don't even know how my life would have turned out because it's like I had one avenue. My mom and dad let me. They knew I was an adult. So they were like, you know, some things were OK. Some things were not. America's completely different than Europe. Sexuality versus violence. But my parents were pretty good about being like, mm, no, not until you're older, Skinamax or whatever, you know, probably not the best to watch, you know, M- Mark Singer in a movie that's not called Beastmaster, most likely some kind of erotic thriller. Uh, shout out to Mark Singer. He's one of my favorite guys in the world. But uh, yeah, it's um, it, it is something that's coming up. Uh, it does seem like people I have noticed a, a pretty cool turnaround lately, though. I have noticed with some of the people that I've talked to where they're maybe they've just gotten accustomed to it. But where people are like, all right, there is some onus on, you know, everybody else to to just not click it and be like, all right, exactly. you know, I need, I need to vet my shit. If you don't, if you don't like it, then you don't have to watch it. What right. To that? In, instead, no, they're sitting there. Yeah, right. Instead, they're like, mm-hmm. I was controlled and I have to watch yeah. this. So, yeah, it's it's very cool to see. I think all these things take time, man. And they it's like it always takes it. I don't know what my parents went through, but they went through D&D. And I assume that made sense for them to worry about me as a kid. I wouldn't, but they did. So I have to look back on that and be like, okay, for that, that time frame, they were worried about that kind of stuff. And uh, luckily it was a, a, a short time frame that that occurred. Um, I mean, I didn't trick or treat because worried about razor, razor blades, blades. which was, oh, right. oh, that, yeah, was that was a thing for here. I mean, my mom and dad checked our candy all the time. There was never anything yeah. in it, but my mom no, and dad well, always there was never candy. anything anywhere. I know. It was I know. a pure mass hysteria urban myth. Like it you know never <laughs> yeah do you know how many kit kats i didn't get to eat you sons of bitches um I'm still D- dakota as dakota says what's a board game you guys would recommend for a newcomer to board games oh mm. that's a pretty huge uh, there's a pretty huge topic happens there. all the time right because you're like is it a builder you know are you a financial person it's one thing um and that one that i've played recently which i really dig uh th- these guys that i know here they're they're big board gamers too so they've introduced mm. me to all kinds of stuff but there's a, a game called nemesis which is basically you're playing alien it the, you're playing the movie alien where you're yeah people on a ship and mm-hmm. there's aliens breaking out and you have to you have to do all kinds of things you've got to survive but you've got to work together and you've got to try and stop the, yeah 
Yeah, mm-hmm. it's I love I love co-op games. I love them. Yeah, love them. I'm more of a co-op fan. Yeah, I'm not a big competitive player because my competitive streak is way, way, way too harsh. And oh. I don't like the idea <laughs> of being in conflict with my friends. <laughs> yeah. You know? Understood. Uh, but that's mm-hmm. just that's personal preference. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I haven't played that one. What about you, Fatal? Do you have a board game that like you um that I could suggest for a newcomer? Yeah, for a newcomer. I mean, I, I mean just the, the basic Euro the Euro stuff, like um or even that uh ticket to ride. Yeah, Something ticket to ride. Like you mean car, car car what is it called? Carcassonne or whatever? There's yeah, that one. Carcassonne or what's the Dominion is one. Ship? There's um, uh oh ships ships no sheep and wood and oh I don't know I yeah we don't play those very often yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah I think um for Dakota it depends really so I'll give you a couple examples because it depends yeah. if you if you want to learn card game uh, mechanics I got to tell you one of the best card games for uh, building a card and is DC deck builder is what it's called mm-hmm. and you play the dc characters and it can be played pvp pve or pve p so you can play it all um and i would say that if you're uh, okay with superheroes and you want to learn you know some board game stuff but it's still a card game style then dc deck builder is probably one of your best and one of the things about dc deck builder that's nice if you're just getting into that kind of stuff is that it also they have a ren and or not a Ren and Stimpy, but a Rick and Morty version. And you can actually mix the Rick and Morty characters with Batman. The rules are all the same. Um, If you're into fantasy, uh, then I would say, you know, it depends on the money you want to spend. There's Munchkin, but that's PvP, and it can get really brutally competitive. Munchkin. (laughs) Steve Jackson loves his, like, this fucking game looks like it's all fun and games, but, man, I've seen some knockdown drag-out games of Munchkin. Uh, Talisman is an uh, incredible board game, and it's got a lot of warhammer kind of motif to it talisman is great descent is great but those are a little expensive um that's another thing when you talk about board games man you know prepare to spend right like board games mm-hmm. unfortunately are, are pretty expensive um and know how many players you have yeah um right and that will trevor i think you're muted which way you go am i okay nope nope oh, nope sorry sorry um yeah, uh, it, it all it all depends because that's such a wide thing. But he, like he said, Dominion, Carcassonne, Carca- I can't pronounce that fucking game. So I know there's like Car- a Seven Carcassonne. Wonders two-player Oh, version. Seven Wonders. Yeah, Seven Wonders yeah. is big. I'm just not a fan yeah. of wood stuff. Like if it's like a wood log I'm moving around, my brain is like, <laughs> it's not for me. Munchkin is hilarious because the rules are inborn. Like you have two arms, so your character's got two arms, so he can carry two weapons or one two-handed. It, like there's something very onomatopoeia about it the only problem is is like i said if you're playing with friends could get testy dude for a game that looks so funny man oh are you make a deal guy i'm I'm like listen i'll help you out just no shit in munchkin i'm yeah in munchkin you know that's how i do i don't get crazy but i'm like yeah i'll do you a favor but you gotta hook your boy up yeah i i think those kind of games are great (laughs) because also all of them lead to for example munchkin certainly teaches you inventory management which then might become Mm -hmm. a thing if you want to do a D &D game so uh, Mm -hmm. those are all those are all pretty vital for it's just really about money too um what i was uh, what i wanted to talk to trevor about is and i don't think i asked you this time so you're you're making these videos has there been any idea you had that you tried out that you're like that doesn't work has there been any, even if it's just a technical thing that you wanted to show and you were like, oh, hey, this is a cool, like, add to the video. And then, 
Well, nothing ever works out the way I see it. <laughs> right. Never is good. good enough. Yeah. <laughs> for me, uh, like, uh, for example, with the, the five parsecs game, I do these little cinematic intros with miniatures and stuff yeah. where I shoot a little movie. And in my mind, I want to like full, you know, full <laughs> production level with cast and stuff. But of course, it's me pushing around little plastic people on it. Yeah. Thing, so I, I try and do the best I have with, with what I can. But um, has anything not worked? Well, certainly uh, uh, concepts that I thought would be much more successful turned out not to be. I did a, a couple of episodes called Behind the GM Screen, which was me running D&D, &D, actual D&D, &D, for two friends online. But the conceit is, is that I'm using, I'm making up the adventure as I go along and I'm using the mythic emulator. So every, anytime they decide to do something that I don't know what it is, I turn and I talk to a, uh, a fourth wall breaking camera, which is talking directly to the audience. And I explain, mm -hmm. okay, so here's what I'm going to roll. And I roll and I explain my thought process of how I'm coming up with the random thing. That right. What they're doing and then mm -hmm. i go back to the game so i thought oh that's going to be so cool people are going to love to see the, the how this works and going to see how the gm's mind works and all this stuff and eh, eh, it did okay and i thought yeah youtube you never know you never know what people are going to sure. find interesting you know mm -hmm. uh, but I was, did you I was get so... feedback on that on why maybe uh, not, not really i mean you know uh people th th there was no real criticisms of it they just said you know, most people just said, oh, we'd love to see more of this. And I'm like, okay, well, apparently the views don't support Yeah, that. don't support that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, YouTube, it's, it's a, a, a timely, like, time frame for this because YouTube has changed its algorithm so much that getting... It's um, so weird. It's so weird. On the weird. PS4 app, you used to be able to scroll down, and when you see the channel icon, you would see all the videos right there. But now those are just random videos. It's not, you have to, like, scroll through. It's like the fifth yeah a video is that person's stuff it's just like it's hard to well like and i think also thumbs down being removed made it much more difficult <clears throat> for a couple reasons one if i if i say i want to fix my gutters and somebody's got a shit version of fixing their gutters i can't tell if it's shit because there's no thumbs down and that's mm -hmm. huge to me <clears throat> and then if i'm doing a video I can see their thumbs down, but I can't see the group thumbs down. I know a lot of people are like, oh, people are brigading, blah, 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 you know, certain smaller creators. And YouTube loves to be like, we've talked to somebody over here who says this thing. And you mm -hmm. never know what, because I personally believe they're absolutely lying on some stuff. They're just changing it for, uh, you know, political culture and stuff, which they should just say, that's why we're changing it. But they don't. Um, I've found that when I release something, sometimes I'm like, this is going to be big because everybody's been talking about it. And then I sometimes can't tell if it's my viewers not wanting to watch it or they're not getting it. Cause I, uh, like I just released something a couple days ago and this guy's like, dude, I'm subscribed to you. I have, I have the notify, notify all bell clicked. This is the first video in a year and a half I've got from you. And I'm wow. just like, and I have, te I have 100 test, uh, accounts, uh, where we have patrons who have test accounts to verify. And usually one of a hundred will get a alert and they're all So there's something going on. And by the way, this is true. Yeah. I paid people. I was like, will you make a test email account? Watch nobody else, but me hit notify all we've been doing this for about a year. And, um, I would say the most ever of those hundred test accounts would be five ever. And it's crazy. 
it, it's obvious that they're not doing what they say, but you can't win, you know. And, and they're not respecting the do not recommend. I told uh, they're you absolutely not respecting that because I have channels that I'm, I'm like, don't, don't recommend, recommend and I get it. Stop pushing this video. I do not yeah. want to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you it's, I mean, I guess that's one nice, you know, one thing, maybe having a website of your own, you know, paying and, and that way you can put it up and maybe you drive to your website. But um, it's sort of neither here nor there when it comes to um, the way the world works. But it is something that I've noticed that uh, it's been difficult sometimes where you're like, man, I thought this it, would, I thought this would. Yeah, it, it's so, and like, even like my, I have subscribers, like I say, I got about 20,000 subscribers and yet every video i do maybe has three thousand views so i'm like well where are all these people that purport to like my stuff you would think if they're subscribing they would watch the thing but mm, apparently well not. let me make you feel better about mm -hmm. yourself i have eight hundred thousand subscribers and my videos right now are doing about five thousand what yeah how is it yeah because the youtube changed in uh so so i can give you two three things i know one because i talked to a csr uh, in February, I don't know if, if you were following uh, games hugely, but you had Forget Forbidden West, Elden Ring, and Dying Light 2. So at that time, I could post me taking a dump on Elden Ring and get 200,000 views. It didn't matter because it was so big. Well, what happens is, is your videos become, they look viral to YouTube, meaning they do incredibly well. And then you upload a podcast and people, it's not Elden Ring. So it doesn't get viewed. And what happens is that continues and continues. And they believe the algorithm believes, oh, this is no longer popular anymore as a channel. And so it dumps it. And when I talked to CSR, they they very much backed that up. They said February was a huge deal because for about three months you could post anything. And I was I was posting about those games, but I happened to move my podcast onto YouTube at the same time. So I was uploading a podcast that sometimes did 200,000 views, depending on if we had an interviewee, but other times would do eight. And what would happen is over time, they'd just be like, oh, people aren't watching this anymore. But it was actually still the normal amount. It was just that the prior amount was so massive. And, uh, the, you know, as the CRSR told me, he's like, dude, no one knows what the AI is doing because it's an AI. It's it's an algorithm. They they're it quite literally can't tell you why it's doing what it's doing. We've just written it to hope that it's doing what it's supposed to. So, yeah. So right now I, I had two hundred thousand on a video just three or four days ago and I had three thousand on, by the way, uh, the most requested video from my YouTube channel, the most requested. And everybody I talked to is like, I didn't even get the alert. I have no alert on my channel for this. And it's my number one other than reviews. It's my number one style of video. So, yeah, so it's just YouTube. Um, uh, it, it's just right now. I think things are in such flux. Everybody wants to use AI for everything. You know, it's like it, it's such it, it's just it's their way. Right yeah. It's such a yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. It's, it's definitely an odd situation. Um, speaking of that, though, guess what I did? I used chat GPT to make some one offs for uh, uh, for D&D. And I said, make I, I said, using a card deck, make me some rules where astronauts crashed on a, a planet. And I got to admit, really happy with the results. Scarily happy, scarily happy uh, that and that I think in the future, we're going to see a lot of that kind of stuff. I'm trying to evolve and understand that, like, you know, AI is out there. It's not coming back in. It's already on people's computers. You can't pull that shit back, right? Like it's out there. You just have to sort of adjust with it. But it's uh, it's in, I've used AI as well for a solo role playing. Where I've used AI, uh, uh, dungeon AI, dungeon. What's that one called? Dungeon. Do you remember that one? Fatal. That's the AI that the you can make your own simulator world. Simulator game. The yeah, AI, yeah. Yeah. I've used that, and yeah. I've used Chat GPT to say like, 
this bad guy does blah, blah, blah. What's he do? And let the AI run it. But it's not the same, obviously, as a person. But mm -hmm. it's interesting. I know for your channel, Trevor, um, I get all the results, except I was not getting the drinking with DMs. That's because that is just uh, that's just for patrons. So and I, I have little clips of the show that go up on YouTube, but the, the full episodes are only. OK. Me. And I was wondering if it was because you said drinking, too. I, I could be wrong, but I was wondering well, that if that could be. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> I did put up like a, a 20 minute version of the first episode just to say, hey, there's, I'm, you know, I even asked my patrons. I said, do you guys mind if I cut these up and put versions? They're like, yeah, no, go, go ahead. But it yeah, that did occur to me that, well, maybe the drinking thing somehow YouTube goes, oh, you can't do that. So. Yeah, yeah. You never know these days with exactly how it's going to work out. So when it comes to the future stuff, so you've got, you're doing this one right now. Have you already, like, in the back of your brain, have you already got another, like, your next season planned oh, out? Well, yeah, sort of. I have, um, I have a bunch of, like, smaller things, smaller series coming up. Uh, cool. There's a game by Martin Knight called D100 Dungeon, which is basically a solo dungeon crawl game, <clears throat> but is also a, he's expanded into like wilderness crawls and stuff, really, really neat hex crawl stuff. So he sent me all of his stuff, <laughs> his entire catalog. <laughs> Very cool. So, uh, so I'm going to be doing like a, a series devoted to that. Again, it won't mm -hmm. be at all associated with the main show whatsoever. Mm -hmm. um, season four, technically season four with the main characters, Yes, at some point down the road, I'll come back to them. I don't know what system I'm going to use. Uh, it'll be something new. It'll be probably even maybe even a different Oracle this time, just to try a different <clears throat> a different uh, Oracle to see how that works. But um, right. I, 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 I can't burn myself out with that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Makes so sense. I, uh, like I said, I, I did three seasons and that's like 60 some episodes of these characters. And I'm like, OK, they've they've. They've earned their rest for now. You know, theoretically, I could walk away and, and be done with it. The fans would hate me because there's these little these these little threads, threads that are waiting to be answered. <laughs> you you could Game of Thrones yeah. it and come back in 15 years. What are we talking yeah. about? You know, like, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, one of the questions I always get is like, what's one major? And we've talked about this. So let's try to not use uh, the advice we've already given. But what's one major piece of advice for a DM of any kind? So we can't use conflict, res, uh, reactionary worlds. What are what's another what's another a piece of advice you would give for a DM? You have to be excited about your own game. You have to be excited and interested in the, in the system, in the setting. There's a lot of GMs out there, from what I understand, that basically play whatever their players tell them to run, and I'm like, that is the opposite to me. I come to my mm -hmm. table and I say, this is the game we are playing now. Right, and right. go, okay, because they just want to play. But the idea of a GM just like, well, because I, I read this on Reddit threads sometimes about, well, I didn't really want to run this, but my players wanted to. I'm like, ah. Man, that's oh, really interesting. That. Yeah, yeah. That's like and a mercenary writer. You know, it's it's weird. It's like. I don't know. I've, I've never understood that because in my, in my history, the GM always set the game because it, it's the GM who does all the damn work. Yeah. You know? so it's the GM has to be into it. He has to be excited about it and right. into it or else how can the players be right? Um, any from you fatal as a player, anything um, you want to see a GM do? No, mostly just have fun with it. Have fun. You'd with be it. surprised how like few people the, have fun sometimes. The, the, yeah, the one shots that I did, I got pretty lucky with the GMs who were just excited 
didn't matter what I would just roll in with it and like, oh, you're doing that. Oh, okay, let's explore that because I did a couple things they didn't expect and they just rolled with it because it's a one shot. We're not, it's not like we're. Yeah, you're not trying to save the world all the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, yeah, have yeah. fun and play. Um, you know? Dude, there's nothing better than when a player surprises you as a GM. <laughs> Like when you, yeah, when you're like thinking along something and there, I, I remember one of my friends killed the major bad guy in the first, first hour of the game. It was going to be a big game too. And he's like, he's just surprised me. I'm, I was given the speech and he's like, I slash his neck and I was all fuck it, whatever it works. And the, the entire game was about the power vacuum left behind by that guy. And it turned out to be a great Sweet. game, but I was complete. We talk about it now, even to the day, whenever we get together, it was like, remember that time Roger was just like. I'm killing him. And everyone's just, what the hell? No one, you know, it was a typical <laughs> bad guy doing the flaunty shit where he was like, he was strutting. Yeah. Well, um, that actually leads into a really crucial piece of advice. Go for it. Basically illustrated is as a GM, uh, don't fall in love with your NPCs because yeah, right. they're expendable and they're yeah. supposed to be expendable. Remember, you know, people ask me all the time in my show, well, what happens if the main character dies? And I always say, someone else will step in. It's like a George R. R. Martin story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Ed Stark is not supposed to die. And then he does. And you realize, oh, the world goes on. Yeah. Oh. Yes. That's how you do it. So with GMs, mm -hmm. you can have this really intricate setting and intricate NPCs and, and potential storylines based on what the players do. And that's all awesome. But if the players suddenly go up to the dude who is making the big monologue and they cut his throat and he bleeds out and dies then like every other action of the game it has consequences yeah but don't don't do plot armor not, them <laughs> yeah do not plot armor them and don't and don't plot armor your npcs either don't they're not precious commodities they're they're expendable they're dime yeah. a dozen make another one look just like them <laughs> well i also think that um I, I mean, I guess I guess I'm not saying anything new. I guess I, I, I would just say I agree with that. I think that a lot of times um, people get accustomed to a video game where they're like, if I die, I get a respawn or blah, 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 or blah, blah, blah. And there's always a bad guy. And it's like D&D is, man, D&D is not about that. D&D is really about um, if you want to impacting the world. And I've had players who don't really want to impact the world. They want to explore the world. To me, that's still impacting it. But um, it's a slightly different thing. But, you, you know, you have to figure out reasons why they're with these bloodthirsty play players, if the players are bloodthirsty. But it's it's always cool to see when a player does something that surprises the GM or the GM does something that surprises the players and then everybody builds off each other. And it's something that you just can't do in a video game and you can't do in a board game. It's n it's not possible currently other than maybe your open world. Well, that might be why GTA is still being played. Because it does allow for a sandbox and um, you can do some, you're still locked into stuff, but you can do some crazy stuff. And maybe that's why, you know, you see particular games continue. Skyrim, mm -hmm. I love, it's not a D&D &D game, but I do like that if you wanted, you could play Skyrim as a complete pacifist. And and I think in D&D, &D, if you guys like that in Skyrim, you've seen nothing. Because in D&D, &D, you can do stuff that's far beyond that. For my personal mm -hmm. advice, I would say um, something we've been using for about the past 10 years that I think now has become probably one of my most used tools for D&D would be idioms. And so this is something that I found years ago. I've always used them in my brain, but we started writing them down. So idioms being like, you know, Jesus, now I've spaced on what an idiom would be. Uh, you know, sayings, a typical idiom saying, um, you know, uh, 
penny saved is a penny earned or a penny earned is a penny saved or whatever, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. But what we've done is started using them for everything. So for example, we had a cyber, we were landing at a block in a cyberpunk world and uh, I had the idioms which were tough as nails and one other one, which was, I can't remember what exactly it was, but it allowed us to create this entire block in a millisecond because we knew that the the mercenaries there were tough as nails and that they were uh, they were not going to be budged on their prices and stuff. And so every single person in the game instantly was like, dude, I know exactly what this place is. But for a player and or an NPC, a lot of times I'll jot down an, uh, or I'll roll on my own uh, a, an idiom for an NPC and it'll completely surprise me. I'll get an idiom that just absolutely I did not expect. And I'll be like, whoa, what does that mean for this guy? Um it, they are insanely helpful. I'm spacing out because I don't like to open websites while I'm doing, but I am going to open up an idiom website real quick so that people know mm-hmm. what I'm talking about. I know Fatal knows exactly what I'm talking about because <laughs> I've, I've uh, talked about this nonstop. So, for example, mm-hmm. random idioms uh, so that people understand um, rolling on a random idiom for an NPC. This idiom is top drawer. So to me, that would mean, you know, an, uh, maybe that NPC super hoity-toity maybe has a lot of money maybe acts that way every cloud has a silver lining as one um happy mm-hmm. as a clam happy as a clam would just mean like that merchant who's always happy to do a deal what have you but what's weird is we were using them for locations and they were turning out to be like oh for example happy as a clam for let's say a location in cyberpunk could be a very creepy block where everybody seems overly happy and you're like is there some kind of like subsonics going off to cause everybody to like you know like they all have volume what's going on there you can create the coolest things with idioms man it's become i mean it's my all my players they have an idiom for their player they're like i'm gonna create an Mm -hmm. idiom that is their motive their life like sort of how they act overall versus a alignment i think we've gone away from alignments in our games um but yeah i would suggest that i'm doing a terrible job explaining it because i've explained it so many times i feel like i'm repeating myself but idioms are it's it's just something you can it's something you can you can quickly and immediately uh quickly and immediately redundant much yeah (laughs) that's all right (laughs) where you can uh immediately hang your concept on and everybody has a common shared frame of reference yeah yeah Yeah. And I think for, uh, especially for new GMs, uh, it can be very helpful so that you can look at it. And uh, an hour later I've done, I've done in the past werewolf, uh, nature and demeanor, and I love them, but they've got some weird ones in there like guardian or something. I'm like, okay, what does that, how does that, what does that exactly mean? Where usually with an idiom, I can look at it and just be like, I know how this guy's going to act in this certain environment for the most part. So yeah, Mm -hmm. I would say that that's hugely, hugely popular or hugely useful. What else do we got going on? Is there any is there any stuff you're super excited for, uh, Trevor, when it comes to uh, role playing stuff? Like, have you seen anything announced or, um, you know, like seen some video or, or some like new Indiegogo or anything that's really Kickstarter, caught your eye? Kickstarter. Kickstarter? Yeah. Uh, anything new? I, I've just been so inundated by everybody's uh, stuff, new products over the past six months that I'm I'm drowning in it already. Like um free league just sent me their uh blade runner game and the blade oh runner dude runner. that right. looks sweet i've got it haven't opened it yet yeah but the, I, uh, the rpg drive through yeah the the mm-hmm. box set is uh, is probably one of the most beautiful things i've ever seen oh awesome in terms of its in terms of its player handouts its physical handouts and stuff like it it, it feels like they they reached into the movie and pulled out props and sweet so it feels so, 
but of course the, the downside to that is I looked at this and my first thought was, oh, no GM is ever going to be able to compete with this. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> They're true. They're never going to be able to produce better things than what's in the starter set. <laughs> so maybe it's a little too a little too good. But uh, I love that company, Free League. I think all of their stuff is just absolutely top drawer to, to borrow. There we go, to borrow an idiom. <laughs> Bring it back. What to, um, I think, were they DMs and GMs themselves? Oh, I would imagine, yeah. Yeah. Because sometimes they have that one up where you do get that item from somebody and you're like, yeah, I think we'll just run what they have. Because like you said, I'm not quite sure. It might take me a while to make something better than, you know, or they create a character archetype that you're like, wow, that's good. Like, that's good. And then you're just like, well, I guess we're running that one because that one's really good. And my brain's not, you know, uh, I think especially that's one of the cool things in the creator culture we have now. RPG drive through is just fantastic. I found... I've whoa! I don't even want to say on video how much I've spent. Uh, RPG drive. <laughs> well, I'll tell you this: I currently have three terabytes of PDFs. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of my friends was like, "Dude, do you know how much a terabyte is?" I'm like, "Yeah, I've got three of those." So I, I love RPG drive through. Way, way more stuff than I could ever use. I think that does cause an issue too, where your brain can get a little flighty when you don't. You know, you don't have that specific thing. But um, what else do we got for questions before we let Trevor go here? Do you have any fatal? Because I got one more. No, go go ahead. Oh, the new exciting stuff. And then has your creative process changed as the channel has gone on? Um, Yeah, I guess. I mean, it, has my creative process changed as the channel's gone on? Um. I'm I'm more open to different kinds of games and different kinds of things. Like uh, I said, I would never really do reviews, mm -hmm. and yet I have the series, The Sage's Library, yeah. which is basically me <laughs> reviewing games that I played. Uh, and then I've got Mailbag, which is a series where I do, do almost like capsule reviews of things that people have sent me, so they're much much shorter. Um, so I've embraced that. I've embraced doing different kinds of things. Uh, I have no idea if the algorithm is, is going to reward me or not. <laughs> Apparently not from our conversation today. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, it's it's really opening my 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 eyes to like different ways of presenting things and different different things that people can find useful. So like that that video I did the other week about there's there's different games than uh, oh boy my autofocus is going nuts here. Um, uh, different games other than D and D. Yeah. Uh, that one did that one, you know, went gangbusters. And I think it's because it had D and D in the title and the thumbnail <laughs> D and D, you know, so people see that, but um, you know, that's something I never thought I'd do, but, but people it, it's you, YouTube is, is a platform for people ultimately who want to learn something. And I just yeah. have to accept that because my show is basically a, a TV format on a platform that is does not reward the TV format. Yeah, you know, right. YouTube has a hard time with long form and has a hard time with series. People don't tend to buy into it. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe because they think series TV, they have no problem with watching it on TV, but with YouTube somehow that doesn't quite relate the same. Yeah. Because you can see on my, my viewership <clears throat> on every season, first episodes get huge. Second episodes, half that. And third episode, and it just keeps like exponentially getting less and less and less. So very few people actually get to the end. And I think I put all this work into <laughs> wrapping up this narrative, and so few people are actually seeing it. That kind of that 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 bugs me, obviously. But yeah. um, what day do you release, Trevor? It depends. I, I when I'm doing the main show, it's Mondays. Uh, but 
you know, these days with the supplementary stuff, it tends to be Wednesdays around there. I, I don't know if that has an effect. Or it not. does. Um, I will tell you, you should try Tuesday. Tuesdays, um, according to YouTube and according, I can only tell you what's worked for myself and video game reviewers, um, that Tuesday has some weird thing in the algorithm. So Tuesday around 8 a.m., if I release something Tuesday 8 a.m., I can guarantee you nothing in the week will match the Tuesday 8 a.m. Fascinating. Yeah, so do you use TubeBuddy? Uh, no, what is that? So TubeBuddy is an add-on. It does cost money, and I am not sponsored in any way, shape, or form. Um, however, what TubeBuddy does is it attaches to YouTube, and it, it gives you keyword suggestions, SEO, but it also tells you the exact time you should, by looking at your past uh, viewership, it tells you the exact week, day, and time you should release videos and it matches Tuesday, strangely enough. So, um, you, it, it's about 40 a month, but, uh, I would say it's worth it. Sometimes, sometimes I'll turn it off for a month or two. I'll be like, yeah, I don't really need it. And then find that I did for whatever reason, but it allows for a ton of stuff like bulk card adjustments. So if you have a new video, you can say, add a new card announcing this video to every single prior video. And it oh, will go back and delete the old card and put your brand new, or you can say in my d description of every video, say, I just released my brand new video and sound out every video in the past and it will do all of them behind the scenes. So you just say, search up my last, I have a thousand two hundred videos. So I can say, search up my last 200 or just say, search every one, replace it and say, new review for blah, blah, blah is here. And then about five minutes later, I'll go back in every single video, which also helps SEO because that means if somebody watches your old video, that link has popped up in the upper yep. part and shows up. Mm -hmm. I can off camera, if you need, I can give you some examples of, of yeah, ways yeah. it might help you update stuff. Um, and it can certainly help your end cards. For example, you can just say, replace all end cards with this brand new video and it'll just go back and do all that. So you don't have to do any, any manual stuff. You that's just, good because that, that's a nightmare for me. I mean, I don't, I'm not, I'm not, uh, youtube guy a social media guy at right. all so yeah this is all like ah i don't understand how this works but i'm kind of i'm cutting my own throat by not taking advantage of it yeah and you know me i'm like anti-sponsor on everything and even i've looked at it and been like okay well obviously maybe that needs you know we we do this so this will go on podcast down on youtube but strangely enough on podcast audio formats i do insanely well we have more viewers every month. It's like every single week we go up by maybe a thousand to two thousand viewers. It's crazy. So there, it runs its auto ads. So I make a tiny bit of money there. But I have noticed with TubeBuddy, and there's a couple other AI things. What it's done is just made it so that if I do want to do something, I don't just decide not to do it because there is the ability to do it. And then I found like the audio auto description adjustments as well. As, so for example, let's say you had a website and the website's URL changed. You could, you could literally just say update every description and then type it, remove the old URL and type this new That's one. Huge. And it does all of them behind the scenes. So I'll, I'll show you the, I'll show you the website and um, um, again, not sponsored by him, but I got to tell you for a mass, once you get above a certain number of videos, it, you can get lost. And so if you could say, hey, you guys may have watched one and two, but now three's out. If you notice your viewership, you could literally alert everybody to that. And it's um, it, it may only be 200 views, but that's 200. One of those guys may love your stuff. Suddenly that dude's on Twitter. Um, so it's very helpful. I'll, I'll definitely I'll, I'll point you to that to look at it. Uh, it's it's helped me 
to understand YouTube's algorithm. And like you said, YouTube doesn't support that kind of stuff. And, you know, we have to come to grips with that. The world changes, which sucks. Um, but I will tell you another thing I would love to see you do me personally that would also do well. Cause I know is list. I hate list videos. Oh, I know, man. I hate I them. I hate them. I, I won't even call them list videos. I'll be like, uh, 10 games coming in January, not top 10. Cause I fucking hate that. Yeah. But then I find out if I put top 10, it would have been number one. And I'm like, so I would love if you did like top, no, we don't call it top, but if you did like five, the five best solo (laughs) role-playing games. That that was that last video I did, right? Like five five games Mm -hmm, that aren't D&D. And sure Mm -hmm. enough, 10,000 views in the first two days. Oh, dude. Yeah. For you, that's, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Top list videos. I I hate them, man. I I hate them because I don't like to say one thing's better. If I don't think one thing's better than something else, like, and when you say five, somebody might say, well, there's a six and you're like, yeah, it says five in the fucking description. (laughs) I'm like, did you not watch the video when I said? (laughs) Yeah. So, but I, uh, if, if you ever need, you know, like that, those are the kind of things I've spent a lot of time with um the csrs on youtube because i get demonetized due to cussing a lot and i have to explain myself for them to put it back on and over time i've definitely learned that some things i don't want to do it doesn't matter if i don't want to do them i if i do them i'm allowed to do the things i want to do if that makes sense that's totally man like that's kind of where i've arrived is because another big another big uh thing on youtube is response videos oh god like i can't who's watching this but apparently everybody's watching this apparently so i'm just like i why would you why but that's a thing and so I, i'm mm-hmm. i'm always writing the line like what do i have to do exactly as you just said what do i have to do in order to continue doing doing the things i want to do yeah because yeah like, and and do you do tiktok no because i will t- you know you obviously know way more than i do about like you know, uh, maybe a social media expert or, or agents or whatever, but I would certainly look for you because I love your, your, your energy is infectious. It's the reason why I clicked on your shit in the very first place was probably because one of your thumbnails where, you know, the, the surprise thumbnail, I don't, I don't remember, but when I saw your stuff, there are people whose job it is. Fiverr will do this. I've hired people from Fiverr and they do a very good job um, where they'll cut up uh, one of your videos for five bucks and they'll put it on Twitter on uh, TikTok, And I can tell you, dude, uh, one of my friends is on YouTube and I could, he wouldn't respond to me. And I'm like, dude, I guess I pissed him off, whatever. And he's like, oh no, I, I don't do YouTube. I switched to TikTok. My stuff just does better on TikTok. And I'm like, dude, you're a YouTube long reviewer. So I went and looked and what he was doing was he was just cutting. He just paid people on Fiverr to cut up the fun parts of his video and upload. He, he didn't even touch it. I mean, he did the upload because he didn't want to give somebody his TikTok, but he's, you have to have it now. And the reason why is a TikTok video even if this is what surprises me, even if they never click YouTube, it's on TikTok, which gets scraped into social. So the social, the the algorithm sees that like I have a website and I just upload the videos, but because I have a website, it helps the video, even if they never click between the two. And I got to tell you, man, TikTok, it's like the little cheat engine that could right now for, and your stuff yeah. in particular is really like, you know, whoa, oh, you can do uh, like me. It doesn't show my face a lot. It show, uh, but with you, it does. And I got to tell you, I bet you, I bet you, you would find success. I bet well, you, you would say that because a friend of mine has started doing exactly that for me. Exactly what you just said over oh, Christmas. He, he took awesome. a video, he cut it up, he, he and he gave it to me. And I was like, oh, my God, this is actually 
kind of. Mm-hmm. So we tested a few. Mm-hmm. We put up some on like Instagram reels and stuff yeah. like mm-hmm. that. It's not the same thing, but you know, it's their attempt to. Yeah, emulate. for sure, for sure. And uh, you know, yeah, people saw it, but again. This this digital guru I was talking to a couple of months ago, he said to me, he's a he's a big fan of my channel, but he said he said he, he said are you on TikTok? I said no. He said here's what you do: you post something three times a day to TikTok. It doesn't matter what it is. He said, in fact, don't explain it. And the weirder the better. It doesn't matter. It's just you doing something. He said you do that three times a day for a month, and then we'll see what happens. Because he said if you do that you will see a gargantuan explosion. But he said, the other thing is you got to do it now because TikTok is big now. It yeah. won't be any. Right. He said, you've got, mm-hmm. we've got maybe eight months, eight to 12 months left of TikTok before the next thing happens. He's absolutely right. Also, just so you know, my shorts do really well. And I'm yeah. not a shorts person. My shorts on YouTube do. I mean, uh, dude, I was, I mean, they, they do better than the current low videos right now. They're doing like 20 or 30,000 and I get more subs from them. And I, I don't find them good you know, if you if you have that person that you use that cuts this stuff let send the information for okay. me okay well I, I will gladly go on fiverr and say hey you, you want a yeah. fiverr yeah and <laughs> i use fiverr i used to use fiverr for a for the thumbnails and all that stuff and they were very good most people on fiverr are very good because they're rated you know they want to do a good job but what i found is the editors um uh, especially because that's their job they know and i this one guy i don't i'm sure he was using some you know looking at when when it was loud or whatever and he was cutting those spots but it, he told a story and that's one of the things you'll find on some people on fiverr there's sort of two types there's like i'll cut it or i'll cut it to tell they even say i'll cut it to tell a story so for you they would cut that to like i'm gonna grab this oh my god i'm gonna you know my character's doing this oh and it for five bucks it's like and sometimes they'll charge you more for a quick turnaround. But if you're not, you know, dying for it, you just throw it out there. And um, yeah, they do well. I got to tell you, YouTube shorts has been really uh, almost uh, uncomfortably well, like doing well, like where I'm all. Do I do people don't want to listen to me long? Like what? The fu- what? It's why is this fucking short? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and um, it, it's weird because, uh, you know, I do reviews in one minute on games. I don't want to do a review for those do. OK, so it's not the review stuff. It's like, um. It's just something stupid. Like, I mean, I, I don't want to diss on anybody watching. I'm not saying you're stupid. I'm saying what I'm doing doesn't resonate with me as something that is as uh, informative as, as I would think. What I've been doing is called Game Busters, where it's Mythbusters for video games. Like, does the embargo date truly matter? Or can you be blackballed as a reviewer? And I found that, like, 20,000 people are like, they really want to know that they don't make money until February, but in February, YouTube's turn it well, they make a little, but in February, YouTube is turning those into, you know, real like drivers of money and stuff like that. So, you know, now's the time. Cause you gotta, you know, you got a month and a half to get ready, but yeah, it's uh, cause I, I think it would really help. I it would really help get your name out there because your stuff is just sort of that, you know, the watching you, you're really animated and telling stories. And I could see people seeing that and being like, Oh shit, I want to check this out. So, well, I hope so. I mean, I've, I've been trying everything I can think of to try and get the word out, but again, I'm a bit of a Luddite. So, so this is all, uh, this is, so all am I, I'm what's, what's the term of a person who's a Luddite who also just doesn't fucking want to do it. I don't know what that uh, just Nassau, I guess I I, I, I I always feel bad because I have so many patrons and I'm like, I don't want them to foot the bill forever. 
And so that's the, I feel the same that's way. That's my big my driver. My patrons are carrying me right now completely. And yeah. I'm so thankful to them. But at the same time, I'm like, I feel exactly the same way. I don't want them to have to be the ones that are that are driving this because I want them, you know, I I, I want to be able to just you know, breathe a little without having to focus, you know, and I feel a little bit like I'm coming to them with my hat in my hand. And I know that's not the case. And I know they right. don't feel that way. But there's always a part because I was never going to take any money for patrons from this. When I started out, I was like, nope, I'm never going to take money for this. But as time went on and I realized, God, this is actually becoming more of my job than my job is. Yeah, I have, right. I have to take this seriously. I have to treat it like the business that it's kind of turning into. So, you know, I really want to make sure I give my patrons special stuff. And it's so funny because I'll be like, okay, guys, I'm thinking about this special behind the scenes stuff just for you. And they're like, we don't care. We just want you to keep doing it. Dude, that's quite literally what I get all the time. I'll be like, Mm -hmm. hey, guys, um, you know, I want to do this for you. And they'll be like, all right. And some will watch it and some will thumb it up. And I'll be like, oh, they didn't like it. So one time I was like, do you guys not like this? And they're like, oh, no, we love it. Thanks. There's And I had one one person who's been for like six years. And I'm like, hey, I want to touch base. But anything else? And they're like, oh, no, I'm I'm totally fine. I was just like, <laughs> OK, <laughs> I, I, it, it's awesome to see, though. And and shout out to my patrons as well. You guys are awesome. Fatal's been a patron for like fucking five years, I think, haven't you? Four or five years. <laughs> yeah. You've been around for a long <laughs> time. Like um, all the people in the podcast are four plus years, too. So uh, that'll be it for us. Unless there's anything you are you doing anything outside of this um, voice acting wise or anything like that? Uh, well, you know, there's stuff I can't talk about. Stuff you can't talk about. NDA. (laughs) There's always an NDA for everything. Um, but if you guys get a chance, me, myself and die, check out Trevor's stuff. He'll be on TikTok. We'll get him on TikTok. (laughs) We'll push him over there. Um, but you guys should definitely check out his stuff. Uh, we're going to have him on, you know, again, for sure. This time it'll be a shorter time frame. That's on me because I get sort of in my own head and start doing random shit. But I want to say, dude, you've enlightened me every fucking time we talk. And I appreciate that. Uh, people called me a fangirl last time, so they can call me that again. <laughs> but I am, I'm, I'm, I love people who are unabashed, good, uh, good, intelligent people who like draw me into their videos and yours do. And that's why I'm telling patrons, you need to check out his shit because it's, it's phenomenal stuff. It's really surprisingly consistently watchable, which admittedly some long channels i i I tune out and uh i've noticed with yours i'm always interested in what a character's doing or or or, or, you know what your thought process is so thank you very much for creating your stuff dude um you're you're awesome and i mean that from the bottom of my heart your your shit is amazing and every time i get done with a podcast from you i'm like oh (laughs) fuck man i never even thought about that like it's 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 phenomenal um That'll be it for us. This, if you guys are hearing us, what day is today? Today is Tuesday. It'll most likely be today on Tuesday on audio and then probably um, Wednesday or Thursday on YouTube. So thanks to everybody. Anything you need to shout out, Trevor, before we end that? No, uh, thanks to everybody who keeps watching the channel and my subscribers and especially my patrons and YouTube channel members and all that stuff. Um, I, I I appreciate all you guys so much. Without you, there wouldn't be a, a channel. So, so thank you. All right. Thank you, everybody. Peace yeah. out.